You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. ...resulted in the death of three U.S. service members and left over 30 wounded. The attack on the outpost known as Tower 22 near the Jordanian-Syrian border was claimed by the Islamic resistance in Iraq, a coalition of Islamist Shia militias. Contrary to these claims, U.S. President Joe Biden attributed the attack to radical Iran-backed militant groups and several U.S. politicians directly accused Iran. We had a tough day last in the UK Foreign Minister David Cameron also pointed fingers at Iran, calling for de-escalation in the region. Kanani emphasized that resistance groups in the region act independently, driven by their own principles, priorities, and the interests of their people and countries. He stated that these groups do not operate under orders from Iran. In response to the attack and deaths of the American soldiers, President Biden vowed to hold those responsible accountable at a time and manner of his choosing. NBC's News has reported that the White House is considering the possibility of delaying or slowing down the delivery of offensive weapons to Israel. This contemplation is in response to Israel's request for additional military aid, including advanced aerial bombs and air defense systems. The report, citing three current and one former U.S. official, suggests that the U.S. administration might use this strategy as leverage to encourage Israel to implement measures such as establishing humanitarian corridors to assist Palestinian civilians. Specifically under review are shipments of 155mm artillery rounds and kits that upgrade conventional bombs into precision-guided munitions. While Pentagon officials have stated that no final decisions have been made, there's an indication that the U.S. might continue supplying other kits that enhance the accuracy of Israeli munitions. However, the U.S. administration could potentially withhold or postpone the delivery of offensive weapons, although it's less likely to affect the supply of air defense systems. A new report from the U.S. military highlights that China and Russia are deploying satellites with dual purposes, simultaneously serving civilian and military functions, while deliberately concealing their military capabilities. The report, titled Competing in Space, was produced collaboratively by the National Space Intelligence Center of the U.S. Space Force and the National Air and Space Intelligence Center of the U.S. Air Force. The document emphasizes the strategic view of China and Russia, which perceived the United States as heavily dependent on space for military and informational dominance. Both nations are actively developing, testing, and showcasing counter-space weapons aimed at compromising, hindering, or annihilating satellites and space services. These activities are often disguised to avoid international backlash. The report points out the challenge in identifying and responding to these counter-space activities due to the dual-use nature of some spacecraft technologies. Tools like satellite inspection sensors and robotic arms, while beneficial for peaceful missions like satellite servicing, can also be repurposed to target or assault other spacecraft. Philippine government forces eliminated nine members of the Dawla Islamia, a pro-ISIS group, during a counter-terrorism operation in Lanao del Sur province, the armed forces of the Philippines announced. The operation, which took place over two days, also resulted in injuries to four soldiers now in stable condition. Dawla Islamia, known for its allegiance to ISIS, gained notoriety in 2017 by seizing control of Marawi City in the southern Philippines, leading to a prolonged military confrontation. Among the militants killed were two individuals implicated in the December 3rd bombing at a university gymnasium in Marawi, an attack that claimed four lives and injured 50 people. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT.
Thank you very much, James, and a very good morning to you. Four minutes past five. I'll be back in a moment. All righty, five minutes past five. A very good morning to you. Let's have a look at that weather. The feel of that. I'll, I'll restart it again, see if it's any better. It doesn't like me. Maybe I've run out of space. Oh, that worked all right. Here we go. So now I've got to just sort of like find some music there or get something. We've gone away from the country music. We're going back to the classic hits, um, doing a bit of um, a bit of unwinding music today. So we'll start off with just a wee bit of un- unwinding music. Should we clear that history? We'll do an auto. There we are. So that's just going to kick into gear, and then we'll, we'll play a song while I get myself organised. All right. So, so you're so so you're a former sixty minutes correspondent. Yep. What? Why can't you call up sixty minutes and say, "Look, in my personal experience, it's twenty to one vaccine killed versus COVID killed." How come you guys aren't writing running a story on this? You know, Steve. It's funny that you ask me that question. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Oh, blimey. Well, what a shambles of a morning. Now, not only did the program completely just, you know, spit sparks. Oh, it didn't really, but inside it did had something, had some sort of a seizure. And uh, I don't think we've got any viruses, <laughs> but it had a seizure. And uh, also I left the levels down. So anyone that's listening on Rumble, sorry about that. I, I forgot to <laughs> put the levels up. Last night when I went to bed, and I went to bed a bit late. Oh, yeah, it was a bit late. Anyway, we're getting there. We're getting there. We'll be back, and we'll have a look at New Zealand news at a moment. It's 16 minutes past five. Very good morning to you. You yourself gained worldwide attention a few years ago when you said there was, quote, no room for homosexuality in Kenyan society. I want to know whether yeah, you yeah, still stand right, by too. that. Right, right. We have um, Kenyan law. We have Kenyan constitution. We have our tradition. We have our customs. We will continue to respect other people's customs as they respect our customs and our tradition. I am very clear, I am very clear that we respect everybody and what they believe in, but we also have what we believe in and we expect to be respected for what we believe. 88.1 FM, the wireless, New Zealand's news. Right, you're on, Grant. You're on. Come here, sit down here. That's right. Sit down here. You're on, mate. All right. Okay, we're on. Right, thanks, Digger. You're going to make me another copy. That one's gone cold. I've been a bit of a fluster this morning. 17 minutes past five. Very good morning to you. We can have a look at the New Zealand news. Uh, let's do that right away. A man's been found dead in a Dunedin suburb. He was recently married and he had concerns about his home security. We'll look at that story as well. We're over at the New Zealand Herald. You can find them at nzherald.co.nz. And she had no choice here, a naked woman. Naked woman? Yeah, she was forced to jump for her life from a, a, an upper window to escape a fire. Gosh, that's not so good, is it? No, no, and also she had she was immunocompromised as well. We'll look at that story in detail a bit later on. And the royals uh, over in the United Kingdom, they are king. King Charles, oh, he's lovely. How is he? He's in hospital, isn't he? Yes, he is in hospital, and uh, it says there he's unexpected issues. Charles' hospital stay has been extended. The doctors have decided to keep the king under supervision for another night. So there we are. So that's King Charles. And uh, we've got something here in fashion. This is on the front page. Fashion style. How some of New Zealand's most fashionable executives dress for work. <laughs> Have you interested in that? No, I'm not interested. I know uh, we're, a, we're a pair of overalls. That's what I know you do. And you're a very good worker too, Digger. You've been with me since the start. When did we start? 1989. We were together. That's our first time together. That's when you first developed me. <laughs> I did. 
I do. All right. Now, um, a horrendous and unacceptable children not planned conscious, bashed with chairs under what they call Otamariki, which is um, a child protection facility there. They've got these houses where they put them in, and they've got the wrong staff, but they're making all sorts of excuses. So the new government's under the gun now, the new minister as well. Um, can't remember her name, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, in business, uh, New Zealand dairies, China opportunity. Can the growth continue? We'll look at that a little bit later on as well. And protesters, uh, they that descend on Devonport over the, the over the Red Sea military action. We'll look at that. Uh, in business, Woolworth slashes 70% from its New Zealand supermarket's value. And in entertainment, Oppenheimer star reveals uncomfortable sex scene moment. Ugh. I know, no, no, who knows? And uh, Chris Ratu, uh, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, it looks like Ratu. Yeah, I say Ratu. All right, the Warriors are in. Are they in crisis? Um, the Stars exit spells disaster. Oh dear! And a nurse has been fired over an anti-vax post. It uh, may need to be paid twenty thousand dollars. Well, yeah, she should be. We should all be anti-vax. <laughs> Gosh, you give your kids even the childhood vaccines, they're flipping dangerous. Yeah, I know, I know. That's right. Um, a foolish old man, osteopath, who uh, performed a sick... Oh, no, I don't want to hear about that. Don't read that stuff out. Kate, what about Kate McNamara? Why is government funding for uh, period products? In no, don't want to know about that. <laughs> All right, two stricken fishermen. They were plucked from the rocks in a dramatic helicopter rescue at Port Waikato. Two men were winched aboard the Auckland Westpac rescue helicopter. Uh, that was yesterday afternoon. But all is well. They were plucked from the rocks and I saw the photos and yes you can see they were a bit marooned on a rock there and had nowhere to go you got to be a wee bit careful out there on the west coast beaches in Auckland don't you yes you do yes a very dangerous place I wouldn't go underwater out there no I know there's rips and all sorts of things isn't there yes oh very dangerous place now it's 21 minutes past five and um, what, 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 what are we going to do now Digger well I think you should um, just test to make sure everything's working alright uh, you just give it a test push that button there so much has happened over the past few days Donald Trump who this show began the night that Donald Trump was elected president of the US and two people who have been with us on that ride for the last eight years are of course former cab driver from New York Benji Irby and Shemeika Michelle from Carolina. Great to see you both. Trump is back in the saddle. Or no, you can't play that one. That goes on for seven minutes. No one wants to sit around and listen to that. That's, don't have to get rid of that. Delete that one there. Douglas Murray's got No, he's gone on for ages as well. Oh no, we can't have that. Oh, what about a bit of Bon Jovi, just just until we get our act together? It's uh, 22 minutes past five. Yeah, this is good wake-up music that you get you going in the morning. This room you was bleeding you can't see his blood It's nothing but some feelings That this old dog kicked up It's been raining since you left me Now I'm drowning in the flood You see I've always been a fighter But without you I give up now, I can't sing a love song Like the way it's meant to be
things that you left behind All just memories of a different life Something made us laugh, something made us cry
Hey, you're on. Oh, yeah, we're on. Okay, 27 minutes past five. Very good morning. Yes, the old program's decided to um, spit the bucket, uh, spit the spit the dummy, I should say. Anyway, we're. Um, I was just reading a very interesting little thing here, Digger. Uh, a map shows that Chinese explorers may have discovered New Zealand before Europeans, according to a new book. Uh, the new book claims that the map from 1602 shows Chinese explorers could have discovered New Zealand before the Europeans. The consensus among scholars is that Chinese marine voyages in the early 15th century only took the explorers to countries bordering the Indian Ocean. But author Jingwei Wang, she posits in Chinese global exploration in the Colombian era, evidence from the ancient world map, that's what she's got there, their exploration zone extended beyond that to the Americas, Africa, Australia, and even little old New Zealand down here. Now Wang's conclusion has been reported in the South China Morning Post. They're based on her analysis of the first Chinese language world map. It's called Kuyo Wango Kwanggu. We'll just say you just say KWQ. All right, <laughs> the KWQ, which she concludes uh, it was the it was sourced from Chinese maps by the Ming Dynasty, and that was what thirteen sixty eight, if I remember. No, it's written down, isn't it? <laughs> to sixteen forty four. Explorers rather than being European in origin, as well as concluding the map shows Chinese explorers beat Christopher Columbus to the Americas and rounded the southern tip of Africa by when? 1433, would you believe? Wang examines the depiction of the Oceania region. Oceania. Yeah. Right. And that's what the K, that's the KWQ. The KWQ, uh, it depicts Australia and Antarctica as huge connected continent taking up the entire bottom section of the map. Oh, it does too. Look at that. Uh, Wang examined the map. She noticed that the actual outline of northern Australia appeared somewhat similar to the stretched-out coastline depicted in the map. But the more interesting part of the, um, the whole thingy-me-jiggy-me is that um, her interest was that the map included a group of islands off the east, the East Islands. Not the Easter Islands. No, not them. Uh, Wang thought that could represent New Zealand. That's what you... Dutch explorer Abel Tasman... He is officially recognised as the first European to discover New Zealand in speech marks there. In 1642, around 350 to 450 years after the ancestors of the Maori arrived. Yeah, well, that's debatable, isn't it? <laughs> they arrived in whaling ships. I've been telling you this since 1989. I know, you have. Yeah, I don't know. And I've been telling people on the radio too that it's what you've been telling me. Uh, Wang said the QW, no, the K, KWQ suggests this is his book suggest Chinese mariners had explored, it's a map, explored Australia, New Zealand and Antarctic by 1420. So that means that the Chinese are going to take over the country and they'll be the indigenous people of the country. Well, that's not so good, is it? <laughs> Do we want that? I don't know. I don't know if we want that. It's half past five. Half past five and Wang also, she touched on findings of British surveyor T.C. Bell in the book, which she says shows... Quite hard evidence of Chinese junk. Yeah, they got a lot of junk, all right. <laughs> no, I mean the ships, the, the, you know, the ships they came in and ju junks, uh, a Chinese presence here in New Zealand. That's what she says. She found that it seems to be a uh, two crushed ships launched upside down in a in a hill on the southeast coast of the South Island. In the early two thousands. Oh, they did do, didn't they? It result uh, a, a result of landscape changes from a tsunami. She, uh, he discovered, uh, he, I thought it was a she, oh no, so it's a he now, uh, he discovered uh, sticky rice 
Uh, oh, did he? Found some rice. Oh, they live on rice. No, peasant food. That's what I call it. I know you do. <laughs> peasant food. All that stuff is, isn't it? Peasant food. How are you finding the um, carnivore diet now? Oh, it's good. Yeah, no, I lost a few kgs, a few pounds. And um, I've also lost a few shillings and pence because of the price of meat. Well, why don't you have our meat? We've got meat here on the farm. You can have some of that. Don't go buying it. You don't know what's been put into it either. So that's no good. All right, back to the news. And um, we've got a push for police to re-examine Pahia. The Paihia disappearances after women claimed that they had been hunted like prey. We'll look at that story in, in a moment as well. And in health, a game changer, new blood test that screens for Alzheimer's one step closer to reality. In Canterbury, a baby actually survived that crash the other day. Melania, uh, Melania Watson reports uh, she's that a baby survived a fatal crash involving three vehicles on Sunday, which killed two people. The crash on Ashworth Road on State Highway 1 in Leithfield was reported to police just after five o'clock the night before last. A police spokesman confirmed two people had died in the crash and another two people were taken to hospital following the accident. Uh, police, no news hub, they can confirm that there was a baby involved in the crash who was not seriously injured. Uh, no, news hub reported that a police spokesman said that. Investigation into the accident is ongoing. Well, that's terrible, really terrible news. We've got the fishermen, they went missing. A Green Party and uh, Schwarbuck's back in the news again. She dismisses social media claims about... About what? About footage of Gorlitz Garriman allegedly shoplifting. Does she? <laughs> They're not going to admit it. There's been social media speculation, apparently, of um, that a woman in the background of a CCTV footage is uh, Schwarbrick. Oh, she's there as well. Oh, has <laughs> she been in on the act, is she? But when asked about it on the AM show by host Lloyd Burr, he's on the AM show now. Yes, yes, he is. That was on Monday morning. Uh, she emphatically denied it was her. She was shopping. They're shoplifting together. <laughs> Greens. Oh, well, apparently. Anyway, that's what Lloyd, you know, that's what they said. They reckon it was her. I guess, uh, uh, yeah, so she doesn't think it was. Lloyd asked Schwalbach, this is the host, a host of um, that program that in the morning that, we don't watch because we're too busy doing other things, aren't we? Yes, yeah, too busy. Uh, he asked Schwarberg if she thought that question was unfair. No, I'm saying that I that I've been I, I, that I've seen in the past few weeks and months, my last six and a half odd years in, in parliamentary in the parliamentary sphere, uh, is that time and again we have seen real myths and disinformation whipped up online, and that there has meant that's meant that particular women and or women of colour. Oh, rubbish. Look, she's bringing feminism into it and colour into it. What are you talking about, you crazy woman? Was it you or there or not? Were you shopping with Garriman? Garriman's alleged to have shoplifted from Auckland Scotty's Boutique in Ponsonby. That's on Blake Street. I used to live up there. I know you did. I used to live up there with you. You did not. Don't tell people that. I think we're homos. Uh, that was on the 23rd of December anyway in that shop. And when were you there? I was there. Uh, well, when was I there? I got my characters mixed up there for a second. Um, when was I there? I was there, and uh, when did I get married? I met Wendy, there's the children's mother. Uh, we were um, uh, 19, and uh, when did we start Intermedia Group with Trevi? Um, 1997, I think we moved in there. Nice little one bedroom apartment up there. I think it was on the third floor in Blake Street, not far from Scotty's. I don't know if it was Scotty's then. They had, you know, it was quite flash. Had the um, the ivy all over the building. Very nice little building. Anyway, that happened there. And then police have confirmed that they are investigating two more accusations 
have since emerged, including a second alleged incident at Scotty's and a third in Wellington at uh, Creative Works. The police have confirmed that three shoplifting charges have been laid against the former Green Party MP. And there's old Schwabach. She's asked on AM if she knew about the shoplifting incidents that had allegedly occurred. Good question. But she denied it. She said, I think, again, the co-leaders here have outlined absolutely everything that was known at respective points in time. No, big long sentence there. And you'll know that this is an active case currently before the court, so she's not going to say. Were you there or not? Were you there with her? Were you shoplifting with her? <laughs> Get me that dress over there. I like, I like that one. A pair of pants is what I'm after. <laughs> she wants a pair of pants. Can you just put them on? Put those pants on, put the dress over the top. Oh, would that work? No, no, put the pants on, yeah, and then dress, no, other way around, put the dress on, that's quite a nice dress, and the pants will cover it, you'll look a bit baggy around the arse. <laughs> anyway, so that's Chloe, she, she's, um, she's in the gun, the firing line there on the AM show, and uh, recycling rules, what you need to know about recycling rules, you can find that at newshub.co.nz, it's 26 minutes away from 6, and away from the news at TNT Radio. At six o'clock. That is News Hub. Let's move across uh, to, um, uh, where do we go now? Uh, I don't know. Can we go to Australia? Have a look at Australian news? Oh, could do. Could do. We've got, um, as Radio New Zealand, see if they've woken up. They might have a story. Oh, yes, former Glory Vale members believed to be seeking millions in compensation for work. Are they? Yes, a group of nine former Glory Vale members. That's very nice down there. Very nice people. Christians. I know they are. Yeah. Oh, they get a lot of flack in the media. Yeah, of course, people don't like Christians. No, uh, anyway, the members have found that they have been employees and they've lodged an employment relations authority claim against the Christian community. And that's just come out from RNZ. So why don't we have a look? Um, Vicky Mackay's probably on. We'll have a listen to her bulletin that came out at five o'clock and see what she says. Good morning, Vicky. RNZ News at five. Morena, I'm Vicky Mackay. Good morning. Good morning. A group of former Gloria Vale members have filed for lost wages and compensation. The claim, believed to total just over $5 million, has been lodged with the Employment Relations Authority and follows two employment court rulings that the six women and three men were Gloria Vale employees. They're seeking payments for lost wages, breach of minimum entitlements, compensation and penalties. The group's supporters are calling for other Gloria Vale leavers and current members in the same situation to join a wider claim for entitlements that RNZ understands could ultimately top $20 million. A Gloria Vale spokesperson declined to comment. A Jewish woman who has worked for the United Nations Refugee Agency for Palestinians is warning more people will starve if countries continue to suspend aid to Gaza. A dozen countries, including major donors, have halted their funding because Israel is alleging that UNRWA workers were involved in the Hamas attacks on Israel on October the 7th. New Zealand plans to review its $1 million contribution before paying it. Marilyn Garson from Alternative Jewish Voices, who's also a former UNRWA contractor, said the agency has a critical role in Gaza that no other aid organisation can match. She says people are already starving in the besieged Palestinian territory. Meanwhile, Israel's foreign minister says he's cancelled meetings with the head of UNRWA and called on him to resign. Israel Katz says UNRWA employees participated in the massacre of October the 7th and he says its chief, Philippe Lazzarini, should draw conclusions and resign. Reuters is reporting that people in the north of Gaza Strip have been, run, have been grinding animal feed 
to make flour now that flour, rice and sugar have run out in an aid crisis now exacerbated by their country's withdrawal of support for UNRWA. Back home, Parliament is kicking off for the year and MPs have been making their way back to the capital. The Prime Minister's wish for an early start has meant the House is sitting two weeks earlier than it did last year because yesterday was Auckland's anniversary day. The Cabinet will also meet today. Labour's Tracy McClellan and Green Party's Celia Wade-Brown are set to be sworn in as MPs as a result of the resignations of Labour's Reno Terakatane and the Greens' Golris Garaman. And the lengthy address and reply debate responding to the speech from the throne, which has often been paused so the House could go into urgency, will resume. The Finance Minister says she'll be talking to iwi leaders at, Wai- leaders at Waitangi about advancing Māori economic interests. Government relations with Māori are under pressure because of the coalition's policies relating to the Treaty of Waitangi and Te Reo Māori. But Nicola Willis says she'll be engaging with Iwi Chairs Forum on how the government and Māori will work together. She says there's huge potential to increase Māori access to capital and to remove resource consent barriers that get in the way of Iwi who want to develop their properties. Ms Willis says there's also scope for the government and Māori to work together on housing. New Zealand won its first ever ice figure skating medal at the 2024 Winter Youth Olympics in Gangwang, South Korea. Yesterday, 15-year-old Aucklander Dwayne Lee created New Zealand Olympic history winning bronze in his free skating performance. New Zealand now has five medals at the Games. And that's the news. Thank you very much, Nikki. Or oh, uh, Vicky. Uh, Vicky, sorry about that. 19 minutes uh, away from the, the news at 6 o'clock. Uh, let's have a quick look at the weather and just see if there's been any changes there. This morning, how you all doing, eh? You all right? Having a good morning? Yeah, we had some wake-up music there earlier on, just before 5 o'clock. Uh, Gisborne's still 19.4 there. Chatham's has dropped a wee bit, down to 16. Uh, the lowest temperature is in Waitati. you got 7.7 there. New Plymouth is the windiest place, 44 kilometres at the airport there at Wellington, uh, New Plymouth. Uh, next to Mount Egmont, and um, Hastings, oh, an old 90-year-old, I think he's in his 90s, he climbed up Mount Egmont, did very well, did very well, it's the oldest man to have ever done that. Hastings has 4.8 millimetres of rain, temperatures across the country seem to be all sort of in the double digits, except for Timaru, and uh, what's the other place that's cold, oh, Waitati, of course, 7.8, yeah, Timaru's the coldest place in the whole place, in the whole country. Here we are. Where's the warmest? Uh, up in Gisborne and also Kaitaia. They're pretty cold. Oh, no, Gisborne. Gisborne's overtaken. I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, Gisborne, 19.4, 20 degrees there. Kaitaia's 19. Whangarei's also 19. Uh, short forecast just very quickly there in the west from north into Taramurundui, including Coromandel Peninsula, mainly fine today. Isolated showers about Coromandel spreading elsewhere this afternoon and evening. Some possibly heavy for the Bay of Plenty. Hello to you down there and Taupo. Uh, you've got fine weather today. However, you've got a few afternoon showers. They'll be popping in. Around the ranges, if you're going, you're up in the ranges, they're hunting deer, are you? Something's flickering there, something's on fire, it's all right. I thought, you know, I was out there before and I was, I saw, I'm sure I saw some lights in the bush up on the other ridge. Did you? Yeah, I was out there. I was out there, Nick, I was, um, you know, the lavatory, yeah, well, there's a lemon tree. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was watering the lemon tree. That's my lavatory. Oh, is it? Okay. Bay of Plenty, Tarpo, mainly fine. We did that. Rangers, Gisborne and Hawke's Bay. Yeah, you did do that. Uh, periods of rain in Gisborne and Hawke's Bay today. You've got heavy falls possible about the Wairua district at first. Taranaki to Taihapi in Wellington, also Wairarapa. Cloudy periods, isolated Charles and Taihapi, Wairarapa, and possibly Wellington this evening. For Marlborough, Nelson and Buller and Westland, that's down in the South Island for you. 
overseas people listening in. Good morning, Fran. How are you over there in um, New Jersey, New Jersey? Are you going for a coffee? How's your dog? <laughs> she lives in Colts Neck. She doesn't talk like that, actually. She talks proper because she's, you know, she's, you know she, her mother was English. She was a war baby, uh, not a war baby. She was a war bride, came over, followed her, and didn't follow her dad over. He, he brought her over from the war because he was posted. Um, Fran's dad was posted in, um, in the UK, in the United Kingdom. Marlborough, Nelson and Buller Westland fine weather today. Evening clouded Marlborough. Canterbury, Otago and Southland, also Fjordland, a few showers spreading north in the afternoon and evening. Chatham Island, you've just got a bit of low cloud and you've also got a bit of evening rain happening for you. Alrighty, now what else is going on with the news? Um, all the some interesting things here over at the Centrist, you'll find them at centrist.co.nz and it's too hot to handle. Knee was misleading temperature records apparently according to them and I quite like the Centrist because they'll say things that no one else will say. Uh, you, yes, as I said, it's either the centrist, the definite article there, or just centrist. And I think they're part of NZ News Essentials. So they've got some billionaire that's running it there. How about a job? <laughs> He's running it, putting out facts. Now, these are the facts, according to this report from centrist.co.nz. NIWA's climate reports are riddled with errors. NIWA's information about Cyclone Gabrielle is misleading and lacks credibility. And the absence of historical data undermines the quality of NIWA's research. And that's, can, that can be backed up by um, uh, Ian Wishart as well. He found that NIWA were hiding uh, old you know, historical data, uh, which was very important to the old fellows you know, back in the 19th century sailing up and down the coast, because that's how most of the goods and people were travelling around New Zealand. They didn't go by horse and cart, they'd get eaten. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me of a joke. Does it tell us that joke? Oh, let me let me tell it. All right, then you tell it. There was um, there was these two. I don't know. There was a clown on his way to a child's birthday party. He was riding on his bicycle in the desert. Yeah. And uh, there was two cannibals. They were hiding in the bushes. Yeah. And they saw this clown. They said, "Oh, so why don't we eat him? We'll get we'll get him. We can have him for dinner." Oh. Yeah. And they said. Um, all right, so they got the clown, and they were sitting around the campfire. They killed and knocked him on the head and took him back and, and put him around. And they were sitting around the campfire eating this clown. And one, one says to the other, does this taste funny to you? I've heard that joke before. I've heard it before. Quarter to six. Do you believe we went to the moon? Ah, uh, no, I don't We so. are recording, so make some noise. Don't you think? Yeah. I watched another documentary called Astronauts Gone Wild. Astronaut Buzz Aldrin gets a little wild. All he was asked to do was to swear to God that he went to the moon, but he would not. 
was faced with the moon landing denier Had a chance to show that he ain't no liar But Buzz decided to punch that dude Just for asking him to swear that he went to the moon Let me see those hands on Do you still believe we went to the moon? Do you still believe what they're telling you? Just connect the dots and pretty soon you'll find out what I found out too. But if you question this stuff, you'll be labeled a loon. You'll be called a conspiracy theory buffoon. But I don't care, man. I'm still gonna make this true because I know that we didn't go to the moon. Yeah. And how about those moon rocks they gave to museums? And thousands and thousands of people did see them. But one museum took a closer look. They soon realized that something's afoot. The rock they were given turned out to be a fake. Just a piece of old wood, not a rock from space. Yeah, when God made the moon, he saw it was good. But apparently made it from petrified wood. Hmm. Yeah, that's suspicious, don't you think? In another museum sits an astronaut suit Take a good look at the tread on the boot It doesn't match up with the prints on the moon And y'all still believe what they're telling you? Or how about that phone call that Nixon made To the moon that's a quarter million miles away When I can't get a signal on my cell phone lines I guess phones were better in the 69 mm, well, let me see those hands on do you still believe we went to the moon? Do you still believe what they're telling you? Just connect the dots and pretty soon you'll find out what I found out too. But if you question this stuff, you'll be labeled a loon. You'll be called a conspiracy theory buffoon, but I don't care, man. I'm still gonna make this too, cause I know that we didn't go to the moon. We didn't go. We didn't go. No, we didn't go. Yeah, you went straight through those Van Allen belts. It wasn't a problem, right? Nothing was felt. But now you see it's a problem and you can't get through. This problem needs to be solved according to you. But didn't you solve that problem back in 69 and you flew straight through them five more times? Huh? You wonder why I think it's fake when there are so many Apollo mistakes like the telemetry data that's all gone missing. 13,000 reels, are you kidding? A giant leap for all mankind, but you lost the data and no one can find? Hmm, come on, man, are you kidding? Do you still believe we went to the moon? Do you still believe what they're telling you? Just connect the dots and pretty soon you'll find out what I found out too. But if you question this stuff, you'll be labeled a loon. You'll be called a conspiracy theory buffoon, but I don't care, man. I'm still gonna make this tune, cause I know that you can't go. No, there's no blast crater from the lunar module. Probably cause that thing was ha, just a model. Or the flag that flutters with no atmosphere. Ha, don't you think that's a bit queer? Intersecting shadows means another light source. Do I think it's fake? Huh? Yeah, of course. The whole thing was filmed on a Hollywood set. Yeah, directed by Kubrick is my best bet. Oh, the moon's so cool. We'd love to explore it, but we can't get past low Earth orbit. Do you respect? 
search people, and I think you'll find that NASA admits that a bunch of times. Take it away. Yeah. I don't believe it. Do you believe it? I didn't think so. I don't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, we did not go to the moon. Yeah, I think you'll be right. I think you'll be right, Digger. Might not have gone to the moon. That song proves it, doesn't it? Really says it all. <laughs> nine minutes away from six, nine minutes away from TNT Radio News at six. And uh, then around about 6.30, we'll bring you up to date with what's happened at over at RNZ. We'll have another report from whoever's on after six. I have no idea who was after who was on after six. Uh, the centrist is still looking at that. It's interesting, isn't it? That climate change, change data. Yes, it is. Um, also at the centrist, uh, New Zealand's shift in the Middle East policy, the support for the UK and the US airstrikes on Yemen. While not unusual for New Zealand to support the Middle East actions, it makes a significant shift. Yeah, the, yeah if the Jews were doing it, they'd be upset about it, though, because they hate the Jews. People hate Jews. I know they do. Uh, Anti-Semitism. Yes, I know they make out. Even Christians today are doing that. Now, AstraZeneca, they face millions in compensation claims over the alleged COVID vaccine complications. Mm. Oh, you shouldn't have said that because you're going out on Facebook. Oh, we are too. I'll probably ping you for that. I know, they will. Uh, Now, claimants, they argue that the vaccine is linked to a newly identified condition called vaccine-induced immune, immuno, thom... Oh, you you can't say that one, can you? No, I can't. Thombocktopinia. Oh, there we are. Or or thrombosis. Oh, that that makes it easy. Thrombosis leading to blood clots. That's what they say. Well, that's... It's blood monopolies, isn't it? We've known this for like two years. I know. I know. And a study also of medical cannabis is the increased risk in arrhythmia and acute coronary syndrome, apparently, cannabis. Don't you use cannabis in, you use cannabis in that homeopathy, don't you, in that home, homeopathy? Yeah, I do. I do. It's very good for people that have been abusing cannabis. Uh, and a new report out, too, that nicotine is actually very good for you. That'll be why they want to stop you smoking cigarettes, Grant. I know. That could be it. You could be right there. Yeah. That's what that's what it'll be. It's got nothing to do with health. I mean, who would buy cigarettes today? I mean, you can't even buy a packet of fifty grams for less than one hundred and thirty dollars. I know. You know, I was speaking to a French girl just the other day, and she told me that it's fourteen euros for a, for a fifty gram packet of cigarettes in France. She said the cheapest place to buy cigarettes is in Spain. Oh, why don't we take a trip over there and bring some back? No, no, we we don't want to end up like that. Um, that mob dealer, it was a mob, a gang member, he put the methamphetamine, he shoved it in his golf clubs. We heard about that yesterday. That was weird. The, the Germans picked him up. They had a German short-haired pointer over there. They said, over there, he was pointing to the golf clubs. <laughs> Wall Street Journal editor-in-chief at uh, Davos, he acknowledges the loss of control over the news narratives. Oh, we might look at that a little bit later on. And should the government help with school uniform costs? Well, it's... It, I don't know. They should, I suppose. It's you know twelve hundred bucks for some of those uniforms. There, quite expensive with the blazers. Uh, private schools, no. If they can afford to send their kids to a private school, they should be able to afford a, a uniform. Twelve hundred bucks for just a single student—that's a lot of money, isn't it? We had a lady there. She was complaining on the news earlier last week. I think late last week. She was saying it was, she couldn't afford it. Eight hundred dollars to put her 
child into a school uniform. I think a school uniform looks smart, though, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, that makes them look smart. But is it worth it, though? I never liked the kids in America where they all just dress in, you know, civvies. What do you call it? Mufti. We call it Mufti. Mufti Day, isn't it? Yeah. Mufti Day. Well, that's the centrist. Anyway, that's what they've got there. It's good to see that AstraZeneca are facing millions in compensation claims, isn't it? Yes. Yes, about time, yeah. What about Pfizer? Need to get them sorted as well. And, um, yeah, and when are they going to hold all the politicians uh, liable for, you know, forcing us to get jabbed? Well, we, they, we didn't, they didn't force you. You had a choice. Yeah, what, lose your job? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> lose your job or get the jab. The job or jab. It's, uh, it's up to you. Yeah, well, I'm glad I work here on the farm with you, mate. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're good pals. Been pals for a while. Better tell the time. Four minutes to six, and at six, we've got the TNT radio. Are they still going? Yeah, got that anti-Semite over there. He's talking away there. He hates the Jews. Hates them. Hates them. Now, we got any listeners? Yes, oh, we've got lots of people there listening on um, uh, on the streaming, but uh, only no, no one at all, no, not re- one or two. One, one at um, at Rumble. That Rumbles doesn't seem to be taking off. Are we losing followers? We've only got eighty nine. No wonder it's a bit new. Yeah, we should promote it, shouldn't you? I suppose I should. I should promote it. Now uh, we'll go across and see what happened on this day. Well, the bookies they take the last bets on New Zealand race course on the thirtieth of January on this day in nineteen eleven. If you're having a birthday today, a very good, a very good happy birthday to you. Uh, in 1910, the amendment to the Gaming Act banned bookmakers from New Zealand racecourses, other public places and hotels. The bookies were farewelled after the last race at Takapuna. They said, race at Takapuna? Yeah, they did. Was it beach races? I don't know. Takapuna. Uh, as a band played appropriate tunes such as We Parted on the Shore. Must have been on the beach. They just they used to do beach racing, horse racing there. The bookies were private entrepreneurs who displayed the odds they were offering to the punters they hoped to outsmart. They came under increasing pressure from the late nineteenth century as mechanical totalization began operating in New Zealand race courses. Totalizators, uh, the computers they amount the amounts uh, bets on the horse in a race. The um, the amounts bet on the horse in a race. Uh, deducted the fixed proportion and distributed the balance among those who had selected the winners and place-getters. Uh, as betting continued, likely dividends were displayed and close to real time. In reality, bookmakers did not disappear and many illegal operators continued to make a good living. Totalise or bets could not be placed by telephone or telegraph. Technologies bookies embraced in the 1940s. They did. They did. They're there with the binoculars. And it was estimated that the annual turnover from illegal bookmaking exceeded £24 million, equivalent to $1.8 billion in 2010, when TAB turnover was one6 <laughs> so, <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. So that happened on this day in 1911, 30th of January. That was the that was the last bet, but that was a legal bet. You know, that, that was illegal. I think when it went underground and went illegal, it was even better. Oh, I've made a booking for a bookie. I do. I do. I did one. Did you? You're not supposed to talk about that on the radio. People don't. You know, you could get into trouble. I know. You could get into trouble. Now, look at New Zealand news, and um, we'll go to New Zealand news. The stuff where it's stuff, but the stuff is stuffed because we've got the same news 
that we had yesterday. It won't redraw. But let's let's tell you what it is. Well, funerals without a family are on the rise. So what happens? Sulipo Slade was buried with no next of kin. Now, he's one of a rising number of Kiwis to do so. And what else have we got happening here? Friends express sadness and shock at Wellington Harbour deaths. Jared Colloquial died after... Is that how you say that? Cloquin. Cloquin. Oh, yeah, they died after jump. He jumped from the Hiktia crane. Why did he do that? He mustn't have been feeling very well. Cyclone vortex weather coming our way. Oh, why don't we have a look see, to um, see what uh, see if um, Philip Duncan from Newswatch has got some new weather up. Actually, got an idea. Yes, he has. He's got the new feed there. Look. All right. Well, what's, let's see what it says. It's Groundhog Day. He says he says it's a bit like yesterday. Tomorrow, it's it's a lot like today actually. High pressure over the Tasman Sea. Low pressure east of East Cape, and New Zealand is in the middle of it. Most of the country has dry weather, but a few showers or cloud. Uh, they'll brush the South Island, also many eastern parts of the North Island. And it may be cloudy and dry, but drizzle or showers are possible. Heavy rain showers are possible around Gisborne and East Cape. And uh, tomorrow is going to be very similar on Wednesday. Our weather video is back today. Oh, is it? Oh, that's good, isn't it? So you can go to weatherwatch.co.nz with Philip Duncan, And he's going to be... Uh, he's very good. It's a very good website. It's one of the best. He's a very good meteorologist. My friend Nigel told me he was very good when they had him. But they've got News Hub. Um, what is it? Met Watch over there. It's going to be a beautiful day, I think, today for us, isn't it, Digger? Yes, it's good. But I don't know who's that there with a the flashlight over the back there. So I can, I'm sure. Oh, I can see some light in the bush. Maybe they're poaching. Maybe they are. Haven't got any stock up there. No, but they could be poaching wild game. Oh, they could be. Well, the duck shooting seasons, that's what's that's April, first week in April, isn't it? I think so. We've got our living decoys, haven't we? On the, We've got some uh, Indian runner ducks, those sort of waddle, waddle ducks, but they've been hanging out with the chooks, and I didn't want them there. I want them up on the lake, well, up on the pond. It's called a dam in the rural terms. Yeah, well, that's where we want them up there because they act as decoys, don't they? Living decoys. They're a bit thin to eat, so but they produce good eggs. But I've got, I've looked everywhere for eggs. Have you had a look? I had a bit of a look and find any eggs. Duck eggs are good for you. I know they are good for you. They eat a lot of scum, though, don't they? <laughs> yes. Now, speaking of scum, uh, what's happening in politics? Uh, shall we go oh, back to more news? We'll go to Radio New Zealand. Why don't we look at international news? All right then, let's do that. How's the king? Well, King Charles here, he leaves hospital as Kate recovers at home. This has just come through. So he was kept in for an extra night. King walked out of the London Clinic private hospital. He spent three nights following his procedure. Did he now? He's got his prostate. Now, what causes that? I don't know. Eating bad, I suppose. I don't know. He's got a homeopath. Uh, He's um, actually a patron of homeopathy. He's got a homeopathic garden as well. King Charles. If it wasn't for the royal family, we wouldn't have homeopathic hospitals in the UK. We don't have it here. The kettle's boiling. Can you get that kettle? All right. You'll get that kettle. Right. Now, um, an ongoing wave of uh, anti-Muslim hate, US group. Council on American-Islamic Relations says complaints, which have surged 180% since October the 7th. That's the massacre when the Islamic terrorists uh, murdered, slaughtered, beheaded. Just awful stuff. Uh, Douglas Murray was saying that he saw... Uh, evidence of man video. They were videoing it, these jolly criminals, um, Muslim terrorists. They were chopping a man's head off with a, with a shovel, yelling Allah Akbar as he was doing it. And it's glee. They, they were doing it with glee, according to Douglas Murray. And a crisis hits China. 
Everglade ordered to liquidate. The decision is likely to send ripples through China's financial markets. We might look at that in a bit more detail a bit later on if I remember to come back to it. I often don't. That's world news. Oh, no, we've got some more. Disposable vapes are being banned for children's health in the UK, according to the government. Disposable vapes are set to to be banned as part of the plans to tackle the rising number of young people taking up vaping in the UK, according to the government. Fiji is being used as a transit point. 13 people have been charged in Nandi meth bust. Fiji public prosecutor has sanctioned charges against 13 people in connection with the Nandi drug raids on the 14th and 20th of January. And MAF, MFAT, what's that, MFAT, funding for the, under fire for the United Nations agency is going to be reviewed. They're sending money over there, but it's going to the... Going to the terrorists, isn't it? Yes, going to the terrorists. Uh, Israel has uh, alleged that the UNRWA's staff took part in the Hamas attack on October the 7th. Disgraceful. Protesters, they throw soup at the Mona Lisa. Getting down on the news now. We're getting, scraping the bottom of the barrel. We are. So we'll go back to New Zealand news there. And uh, the latest is a Wellington councillor suggests staff cuts to fund water pipe fixes. They've got 3,000 leaks. Do you know that? Yeah, I know. It's terrible. And then they're going to put shortages on. They're going to stop people from using the hose or water the gardens, water the pansies. How do you know if your, um, your garden's got, H- uh, got AIDS? I don't know. How do you know? The pansies die off. Oh, dang it. <laughs> it's just inappropriate. An independent councillor wants to cut staff at the council to help pay for Wellington's broken pipes. They've got broken pipes. That's just come through 14 minutes ago. Former Glory of Our members, we heard that in the news with Vicky Mackay. Former Glory of Our members believed to be seeking millions in compensation. A group of nine former Glory of Our members found that they've been... They have been employed, they were employees, and they've lodged an Employment Relations Authority claim against the Christian community. Finance Minister Nicola Willis attending Waitangi commemorations, according to the Tribe Chair Forum. Nicola Willis, she said that she would be engaging directly with Tribe leaders. Well, she said iwi leaders, but, you know, people overseas don't know what the heck you're talking about. What's an iwi? Oh, well, I don't know. It's a tribe. Uh, Tribe leaders, tribal leaders. Sounds worse, doesn't it? It's it's tribal. Gosh, I mean, what are we going back to tribal? You know, tribal leaders to see how the, the government could get better results for Māori. Well, I think Māori would do better if they forgot the tribe business and just got stuck in with being a constitutional monarchy. I agree. I agree. But I'm not very happy with a constitutional monarchy. No? Why not? Well, I don't think the king done much for us. The queen didn't do much. She sat there and sat on her hands. Well, she can't do anything. She's got politicians that do all that for her. She just... She just sits there. Well, well, you're not. You got something on the boil over there. Oh, Taranaki. Now we've got the Mount 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 Egmont. That's the one, Mount Egmont. Ninety-year-old uh, man, and it's he, it's, it's his playground. He says my reflectors aren't as quick as they used to be, but the um, he's a Natia pensioner, and he has climbed the mountain to mark his ninetieth birthday, and he says it was a humbling experience up there on Mount Egmont. And it's just insane. Abuse and threats force sharing stores to close. A sharing store. The creator of Free and All says that she's closing up shop because she's unable to keep volunteers and customers safe. Good grief. And knocked unconscious to bleeding lips and noses. More children harmed in Otamariki care. What's Otamariki? Well, it's um, a child, youth and family, isn't it? I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think it's... I don't know. They put the Maori names and things. And we, who would you, how would you know? Um... 
it's when the kids are in, in care in those houses and they have staff looking after them. It's called Otamareki. We'll just say OT. It's a bit over the, t- over the top. They say that it's horrendous and absolutely unacceptable that more children than ever are being harmed under their watch, which I should r- rightly think so. Anyway, there's a report over there, and we're at Radio New Zealand, and it was, it was um, Otamariki. And who's the report? It's, um, what's her name? Can't remember. She does, um, anyway, I'll, I'll tell you about it. We won't play it because it might not have the right, the right temperature, uh, the right volume. Actually, I, I don't know if I will. I might play it, actually, because something on the boil, so I'll get back to it. We'll have a listen to this. This is the report that shows that children are being harmed. More children than ever are being harmed under the watch of the very agency supposed to protect them. Oranga Tamariki's safety and care report shows 9% of children in its care were harmed in the year ending June 2023. That includes neglect, physical and sexual abuse. That is a significant jump since the Ministry's first report in 2019 when about 5.6% of children in Oranga Tamariki's care were found to have been harmed. The Minister for Children says it is not good enough and bad practice will no longer be tolerated. Joining us now is Nicolette Dixon, who is Oranga Tamariki's Deputy Chief Executive of quality practice and experience. Kia ora, what is your response to the Minister there who says not good enough? Uh, kia ora, Lisa. We would, we would agree that it's not good enough when children are harmed in care. We take that incredibly seriously. That's why we do um, monitor that incredibly closely. We take every allegation of harm about a child in care seriously. In fact, we've encouraged um, our staff to record more um, accurately when children might be experiencing things that are not okay so that it can be fully investigated and so that we can take action in response. If you care so much, why aren't you doing better? It's getting worse. Well, when we look at the data, um, absolutely agree that, that the, the numbers of children here um, being harmed is unacceptable and each event of harm is something that should not be happening for a child in care. When we look a little bit closer at the data, though, what we do see is that for younger children, children being cared for by caregivers, whether that's a whānau member or a member of the community, generally care is safer and more stable than in the past. Um, We have a particular area of focus, which the report makes very clear, about making sure that we are providing all the support necessary when a child returns home. Um, And obviously there's particular work that's needed in our residences. Nicolette, I'm going to read you an extract from the report. It says, We saw cases of children and young people requiring medical treatment, including hospital visits in the care and protection residences and injuries that ranged from being knocked unconscious to bleeding lips and noses. Many of the assaults within the youth justice residences were also serious and included young people being assaulted by groups of other young people at times. and assaults that included the use of instruments such as chairs. We did see that some young people experienced multiple assaults on several occasions over time. That's horrendous. It is horrendous, and it's absolutely um, unacceptable. And we know that... But that's uh, just words, Nicolette. There's been so many reports into Oranga Tamariki, and every time someone from the agency says, it's horrible, it's terrible, and then it just keeps happening. Mm. Well, what we are doing is, as I said, we're reporting more of that harm. So one of the things that we know from children in care is um, they talk about harm and care being terrible, but actually 
talking to someone and having somebody not believe what's happening to them is even worse. So we are absolutely determined that that won't happen. So every time a child is harmed, we will record that as a record of concern. We will ensure it's investigated. Um, We've got senior staff who look at that investigation to make sure the right right actions are taken. At a broader level, we know and we've been very open that what's happening in our residences is not okay. Um, Things need to change there. Um, the previous police commissioners, um, the work that Mike Bush did last year has made that abundantly clear again. Um, and since then, he and the residents team and our leadership team have been working incredibly hard to address the issues he's found in the review um, by increasing training for staff, by providing stronger leadership, by addressing the, the physical environment and residences, but potentially, well, actually more importantly than all of that, um, by working with our, our community partners to find alternatives so young people don't end up in residences in the first place. Nicolette, how many of your staff harmed children in your care? Well, the report found around um, 40 findings um, in in this period. Um, Sorry, just to be clear, there were 40 instances where children were harmed by the people you employ. Mm. Yes, that's correct. That's what we found. Why Why are they in your employ? How did they become employed by you? Are you not doing sufficient checking? Exactly. Well, the first thing I want to say is that the vast majority of our staff are absolutely committed to the well-being of children and young people, work incredibly hard um, to meet their needs, to keep them safe and to provide great care, as do our caregivers. Um, We absolutely acknowledge that that, that any harm to a child in care is a complete breach of trust by a staff member. It's unacceptable. What did those staff do to the children? Well, and, and, and all the types, of the, there's a broad range of harm that's, that's, a, that's reflected in these reports in terms of, um, um, and if we look at just physical abuse, that can range from serious assaults, which do, and we do make referrals of those matters to police. Um, but in some cases, it might also be um, rough handling, inappropriate um, physical restraint, um, none of which is acceptable, but there is a bit of a range of different types of harm that is represented in these findings. Do any of those staff implicated in those f- 40 incidents where children were harmed, do any of them still work for you? Well, what I can say is that every time there's, a, there's an incident of harm by a staff member, there's an appropriate process that's followed. Um, and in some cases, that will result in staff no longer working for us. Um, yeah, but that doesn't answer my that question. This, so, no. so in these incidences where you have accepted yeah. by the very nature yeah. of the um, admissions made in this report that staff harmed children in your care, surely none of them should continue working for you? Absolutely. Well, in each situation, there will be an appropriate process of investigating those circumstances and the appropriate action um, will be taken in relation to the staff member. The Minister has said bad practice will no longer be tolerated. That indicates that bad practice is still happening within your agency. Do you accept that? I think that we have more work to do to ensure that all all practice um, meets the standards that, that are required. Um, I, I don't disagree with the Minister. I do think um, that, that that means that we need to focus on making sure each staff member um, has the full range of support and resources they need to be able to practice in the best interests of children as well. And that's what we're absolutely focused on as, as a leadership team. That's what our um, work program's about. And um, we, are, we have a very strong focus on understanding our practice. We look at um, practice in depth. We take those insights and we learn from them 
um, and we are seeing improvements. If we look at our monitoring the National Care Standards as a whole, what we are seeing is that actually care is becoming safer, more supportive and more stable um, for most children. That does not discount the experiences reflected in this report, which are just, Nicolette, as we said, horrific and unacceptable. How many children were sexually abused in your care during the course of the time frame for this report? Um, sorry, I would have to find that. That, that, that right in front of what about, what about the number who were physically abused? Number who were neglected? Well, they're the, 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 the high findings. They're findings they're publicly reported in, in our report, and um, each incident has been looked at by a senior staff member to understand exactly what's but, happening. But as the Deputy Chief Executive of Quality Practice and Experiences, you can't tell me you don't know how many kids have experienced sexual abuse in your care in that year. Well, we do know, and that's why it's publicly abused. reported. That's well, why it's publicly reported today. I don't have the number no, exactly in my, I'm, in my head, and I apologise for that, but okay. that is why we've publicly reported on those things, and we continue, we've been doing that for five years. We absolutely recognise the importance of being accountable um, for every single finding of harm. That's why a senior person looks at every single one of those investigations, um, and that's why we've been reporting on these findings for the last five years, because we know how important it is to be accountable about these findings. Appreciate your time this evening. That is Nicolette Dixon, who is Oranga Tamariki's Deputy Chief Executive of Quality, Practice and Experience. A very good questioning there from Radio New Zealand uh, over there. Six, 16 minutes past six, and uh, yes, we missed the news at six with TNT, but I think that's all right, because that was quite good, wasn't it? Now, uh, we're going over to World News, and we'll look at AP News. That's uh, Associated Press. You'll find them at apnews.com. And uh, first of all, we'll look at the regions, and in Europe, the Islamic State uh, group, they claim responsibility for the Istanbul church attack that killed one person. And also in, um, where are we? Asia, Europe. Oh, we're in Europe. Okay, and we've got um, who? That's that one. And then under bombing, uh, under bombing in eastern Ukraine, uh, and disabled by illness, an unknown painter awaits her fate. We might look at that story. I oh, better look at it now, I suppose. Better do that. Find out what that's all about. Um, Slovakia and Ukraine. Uh, Mykola Solovyova, she's eighty-eight, is a painter in the world, and she does not know what is that. Uh, his landscapes of eastern Ukraine record. A, a lot of a lost time is it yeah like tucked away in the modest home under the, the threat of russian attack uh, he can't hear or walk barely speaks disabled since 2017 stroke uh, that was before the jab so we can't blame that uh he rather he spends his days in bed bedridden in an apartment in Slovink, slovinsk it looks like in a city 25 kilometers 15 miles from the front line uh, the region of don donetsk and uh, waves of Russian missiles attacked have continued to pound civilian areas, areas across Ukraine as the war approaches its second anniversary next month, killing scores of Ukrainian civilians, often in their own homes, according to AP News. Eastern Ukraine, where troops live among the civilian population, uh, often hit the hardest. But his wife, she is, um, she wants him and his paintings to die and doesn't want them to die in anonymity. She wants the world to know that he's not just a civilian caught in the middle of a war, he's also a very famous painter. So, yeah, okay, well, yeah, move on now. We'll just give you the headlines, okay? Uh, so that's that. Italian leader Meloni, she opens an African summit to unveil plans for the aid development 
uh, to curb migration. Albania's constitutional court says migration deal with Italy can go ahead if approved. Moving over to Asia now, and the news there is the China Everglade. China Everglade has been ordered to liquidate. Everglade must be... What's that? Uh, it's not Glades, no L in it. Oh, no, it's not, is it? <laughs> Evergrande. Oh, OK. All right, then. Uh, been ordered to liquidate. The real estate... Oh, they're a big real estate giant. They're over, they've got $300 billion worth of assets. China is protesting interrogations and deportations of its students in the US entry points and a rise in, in, uh, rise in shine, a Japanese moon probe back to work after the sun reaches its solar panels. Oh, that's good. Might, but they must have, must have been gone into the studio there and tipped the thing up the right way. Thailand may be, they may deport visiting dissident rock band that criticised war in Ukraine back to Russia. Oh, that's a good idea. In Latin America, Latin American news in Brazil, one of Bolsonaro's, Yes, one of his sons is targeted by an investigation into the alleged political spying. And bullfighting resumes in Mexico City before a full crowd while activists protest outside, as they do. They do that here, don't they, with the, with the rodeo. They don't like it. I think, it's, I think the bulls don't like it. The bulls love it, Digger. Uh, regional group says Venezuela's move against opposition candidate ends possibility of free election. And then we've got the bullfight advocate working, bullfight advocates. They're working with young people to attract new followers in Mexico. There we are in the Middle East. Uh, what is Tower 22, the military base that was attacked in, the, in Jordan, where three US troops were killed? They've got a story over at apnews.com. You can have a look at that. An Israeli strike on Damascus. That's where the Apostle Paul Digger, that's where he well, he was on the road to Damascus. He was going up there to hunt hunt some more Christians. And uh, he, that's where he had his his moment when the Lord appeared to him on that road to Damascus. It's very interesting. You'll find that in Romans, the book of Romans, that Paul wrote to the to the just little home group in Rome, in Rome little Christians there in Rome. And then he, he talked about it again in uh, chapter 22. So chapter 9 of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans, this New Testament. And um, also, yeah, chapter 22. But anyway, getting back to this, so this airstrike on Damascus area where an Iran-backed group operates caused casualties in Syria. So Damascus is in Syria. Yemen's Houthi rebels, they say, they say it, uh, it, they've been attacked, they attacked a warship, a U.S. warship, without evidence. An American official rejects the claim. A U.S. shall respond after drone, drone strike by Iranian-backed group kills three troops in the Jordan, according to Biden according to Biden's scriptwriter. And in Africa, Indian and Seychelles, Seychelles forces, they separately rescue two fishermen, uh, two fishing boats, I should say, hijacked by Somali pirates. The pirates are still at it. And in, uh, in Mali, in Niger, the Burkina Faso withdraw from African region. That's the E-C-O-W-A-S, the ECOWAS, as tensions deepen, 52 people have been killed in clashes, disputed oil-rich African region of Abye, is it? I don't know. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It is. All right, don't ask me. I can't spell even. Um, and uh, Haitians suffering gang violence. Is that how you say that one? I don't know. Desperate after the Kenyan court blocked police. No, it's not Haitian. Yeah, it must be. A forced deployment, there we are. And a leader of a Somali breakup, Somalian, Somaliland says deal with Ethiopia will allow to build a naval base. There we are. 
<laughs> he struggled for that one, didn't he? I did. Uh, you did too. And uh, Republicans see an opportunity with the black voters prompting mobilisation of the Biden campaign over in the United States. And there's a way, this is for you, Fran, and there's a wave of new bills to define anti-Semitism in three states. They could become law in three states. Which states are they, I wonder? They're going to define what anti-Semitism is. Lawmakers, more than half a dozen US states, are pushing laws to define anti-Semitism, triggering debates about free speech and bringing complicated world politics into into state houses. State houses. Uh, supporters say that it's increasingly important to add a definition that lays out how to determine whether some criticism of Israel also amounts to hatred of Jewish people. In doing so, lawmakers cited the October 7th attacks in which Hamas killed some 1,200 people, mostly civilians, and took about 250 hostages back to Gaza, which sparked a war that killed more than 26,000 Arabs. Uh, For anybody that didn't think that anti-Zionism could cross into anti-Semitism, the rest of the world could see that it, it had said to Democratic Representative Esther Panitich, the only Jewish member of the Georgia's legislature and the one of the one of the sponsors of the bill that the state legislature passed last week. Republican Governor Brian Kemp is expected to sign it. Defined by in 2016 by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews rhetorical and physical manifestations of uh, anti-Semitism are directed towards Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property towards Jewish community institutions and religious facilities there. And so that's that story. You can find that at AP News. That's just the beginning of it. And uh, we've got also, we're taking away Trump's business empire would stand alone under New York fraud. Really? We'll better have a look at that. There's poor old Donald Trump. They're after him. Bernard Condon. Condon? No, Con Condon. Ah, oh, I say. Uh, New York here. Within days, Donald Trump could potentially have his sprawling real estate business empire ordered dissolved for repeated misrepresentations, they say, on financial statements to lenders, which is nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, it's a nonsense. Adding him... Uh, him to a short list of scam marketeers, con artists and others who have been hit with the ultimate punishment of violating New York's powerful anti-fraud law. Associated press analysis of nearly 70 years of civil cases under the law showed that such a penalty has only been imposed uh, a dozen previous times and Trump's case stands apart in a significant way. It's the only big business found that was threatened with a shutdown without showing of obvious victims and major losses. This is nonsense, isn't it? It's nonsense. Lawmakers for the for the state and Trump's month-long civil trial have argued that the principles of fair play in business alone are enough to justify a harsh penalty. But even they aren't calling for the prospect of liquidation of his business and properties raised by a judge. And some legal experts worry that if the judge goes out of his way to punish the former president... With that worst-case scenario, it could make it easier for courts to wipe out companies in the future. This is uh, basically a death penalty for a business, said the Columbian University law professor Eric Talley. He's getting his just desserts because of the fraud or because people don't like him? That's the question. I think it's because people don't like him.
I think it's just, it's not people. I think people love him. That's why they all want to vote for him. That's why he's doing so well in the polls. But the people that don't like him are the Democrats, the leftists, the commies. 26 minutes past six, and you're at the world at five with Grant Edwards, making a thorough hash of things. Uh, now, uh, well, let's go to Australia now. We've got a few Aussie listeners over there on the streams. Uh, Dave Sharma urges the government to never fund UNRWA again, the former ambassador to Israel, Dave Sharman, Sharma. He's urged the Australian government to never again fund the UNRWA, which was inevitably working for the terrorist group Hamas. And a woman's fighting for her life after a Sydney shark attack. I told you you don't go pushing people in the water over there for a joke in the Sydney harbour. I know. It's very dangerous. She's fighting for her life, this poor woman, after being attacked by a shark in Sydney's east on Monday. And the disaster state Queensland, bracing for severe thunderstorms, potential flash flooding as well, still going on. The southeastern Queensland is in line for a heavy deluge on Tuesday. Is it Tuesday today? It is Tuesday today. Yes, they're in for trouble. They've got thunderstorms, rainfall, immense thunderstorms. They hammer the region with intense humidity as well. And a call grows for, for Allen government to hit the pause on the suburban rail loop. The Victorian opposition has opted to reserve the right not to finish the suburban rail loop if elected in 2026 as it sent a message to the Allen government over the project. Allen government confirms duck hunting stance amid backlash. The Allen government has confirmed its stance on duck hunting after confirm coming under fire from the furious crossbenchers, with the minister saying that it was not up to him to tell Victorians how to live their lives. Quite right too. Quite right. Yes, Victoria's shocking Australia Day long weekend road toll. Thousands of Victorians were... They were caught in a, a police blitz on Australia Day long weekend as offenders across the state attempted to remain highly visible in a bid to reduce the road trauma. Don't know if I understand that, do you? No, I have to look at it. Um, Prime Minister leaves the door open for the first Indigenous government. Yes, using the Indigenous people, isn't he? Yes, he's using the Indigenous people to um, to, uh, to 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 dis- to destroy the country. They need to get Al- Anthony Albanese out. He's left the door open for Australia's first Indigenous Governor-General with a prominent human rights campaigner and Labour Member of Parliament, having both been speculated as a possible candidate. And there we are, and it's, it took us for mugs. That Prime Minister's broken promises on tax cuts destroyed his credibility. CBD under siege, Petra Cred- Credlin. Oh, she's a good interviewer, isn't she? She's a very good, yeah, we could hear from her. Let's see... So what's this one about? Well, it says that she blasts Australia-hating activists. Let's hear her, shall we? Okay, let's put her on. Petra. Peter, not Petra. Peter, no R in it. Peter, here she is. Let's have a listen. But first, the wash-up from Australia Day on Friday. Now, as I drove out of Melbourne to spend the day down the coast with my mother, I ended up stuck in traffic as wave after wave of Australia-hating activists finished their three-hour-long protest through the streets of the Melbourne CBD. Now, alongside their historically ignorant placards was a new chant that linked the Aboriginal activist cause with the anti-Semitism of the pro-Palestinian crowd. The parallels between what happened here and what happened in Palestine are absolute. Always was, always will be. From the river to the sea. Now, these two causes are now joined. So let's see this for what it is. Less about any truth 
and more about tearing down the institutions of this country to appease the increasingly militant hard left. And in a sign of how much this placard waving hate hurts us, were the headlines the following day when Melbourne businesses, restaurants and bars in particular, reported hundreds and hundreds of bookings lost as people stayed away from the city. Now, who can blame them? When cost of living makes going out to eat a special night out, who wants to spend good money being abused by activists? But all of this harms us economically and culturally. Many of the bookings were from overseas tourists in town for the Australian Open. You've got to wonder what they made of it all. The CBD under siege from people shouting obscenities about colonialism and a tennis event that refused to even honour our National Day at all. As I headed over the Westgate Bridge and out of the city, though, things changed dramatically. And I was struck by the number of Australian flags I saw down in Geelong and there on the coast where my mum lives. Now, maybe these homes have always flown the flag on the 26th of January, but there seemed to me this year to be more flags around, a defiant rebuke against those who seem embarrassed about our country, perhaps. Whatever it was, it certainly started to lift my spirits. And so too did your many messages that came flooding in after I unearthed this wonderful patriotic advertisement from Ampol that went on Australia Day in 1968. Aussie rules, sailing in the harbour, but should danger ever
motto of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro Magnifico! I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me He's just a poor boy from a poor family Sparing his life from this monstrosity Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Bismillah, no, we will not let you go. Let him go! Bismillah, we will not let you go. Let him go! Bismillah, we will not let you go. Let me go! We will not let you go. Let me go! We will not let you go. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me, for me. It's the Queen there with the something Rhapsody, isn't it? Yeah, so what is it? Bohemian Rhapsody with Queen. We had to restart the computer. We had all sorts of problems this morning, but we seem to be back up streaming again, but I have none of the information in front of me that I wanted to have. But let's go to the news now, and we're over at um, News Hub, and uh, the latest has just come through. It's 12 minutes away from 7 o'clock. We do have, we still have... TNT Radio there, they're still going in the background. A South Auckland barber shop's been, uh, shop has been destroyed in the suspected arson of the early hours of this morning, Tuesday morning, Fire and Emergency New Zealand. They've received multiple calls about the blaze in a block of shops on Russell Road in South Auckland suburb of Manuera just before 4am this morning. Fire New Zealand spokesperson said on arrival the shop was well involved in flames, however crews worked quickly to contain and extinguish the fire. The spokesperson confirmed the blaze had been treated as suspicious and investigators from FENS, that's Fire and Emergency New Zealand, and police will be on site to determine the cause. Other news at newshub.co.nz. There's a push for police to re-examine the Paihia disappearances after a woman claimed that they were hunted like prey. Better have a look at that because I did promise you that I'd look at that one in a bit more detail. Black Coast Vanishing, that's what they call it, that's the heading. A push for police to re-examine the pie-haired, um, piha rather, piha, not pie Is it? Oh, it's a piha. Piha, piha beach, yes. Um, now we've got um, 
the, the makers of a true crime documentary are hoping that the new information may prompt police to reopen the case of a woman who went missing in the coastal community of West, West Auckland's Piha. While reviewing the high-profile cases, the series Black Coast Vanishings, also as a podcast, spoke with other women who they say they had survived after being hunted like prey by the bush, by bush, but a prey in the bush rather, by men apparently, men, not just one, men. Beyond the black sand beaches, pounding surf, Piha is a, uh, a community that is uh, where the new documentary claiming to hide some sinister secrets. Someone can't just vanish. We are entering the edge of darkness and these disappearances, what the hell has happened to these people? Former Mayor of Waitakere, Sir Bob Harvey. Now, Bob Harvey, I'll tell you a wee bit about him. He used to be, um, who was the one, was it Marshall? Who was the one that um, that allegedly, some people say the CIA had him put down. Um, was it Marshall? Jack Marshall? One of them. Anyway, he was, um, so yeah, I'll bring you that story. I might, I might do a bit of research on that. I'll ask my brother because he, he was the one that told me about it. Uh, anyway, in a true crime, sh- a crime show, Black Coast Vanagings investigates whether they investigate whether the link between six mysterious disappearances from Pihar over the past 30 years, including the missing 25-year-old, Arena Asher. That was back in 2004. Gosh, it was that long ago. There's a deep investigation into her case, but some of the other cases were perhaps a little bit superficial. They ended too quickly. And it's just so easy to blame the environment, Black Coast Vanishing's co-director Candida Beveridge told NewsHub. Those cases involve several women who survived to tell their stories of terrifying close calls of being hunted down in the rugged bush by men and stalked in early March 2017. This is Slavia, Slavia Stefanova. She was on her usual run around the, um, the Mercer Bay loop track when she spotted a man staring at her from the side of the path. I kept walking and he walked past me and went ahead of me. And then I saw him coming back towards me, she said. I was very alert and very aware that I was in danger. When, she, uh, when he was reasonably close to me, I heard people's voices, so there was others. Also, a dog barking. I think at this point, he gave up. Oh, there was others. That's right. So they, he gave up chasing her, hunting her, stalking her. Other women, known, known as uh, Lisa, bravely spoke, just Lisa, didn't want to give a full name, bra- bravely spoke of running for her life and hiding from a group of men in 2007. They, could, they might not be linked, though, but it is a bit, it's a bit interesting, isn't it? I ran into the trees. There were a couple of points where I hid and I, I could hear them yelling. Just come out. I want to know what you taste like. Oh, no. It's terrible. Oh, I can't read this. Anyway, so it looks as though there's trouble there. Now, that, that podcast, I'll just give you the name of that podcast again, Black Coast Vanishings, and it's Candida Beveridge. Uh, that's the uh, director of it. And so you can have a look on news, uh, what do you call it, Podbean or something like that, Podbean or Spotify, you'll find it. Uh, now, we're still at News Hub, and we'll see if there's any other stories that I can bring you before the news at seven o'clock. And it's been a funny all morning, hasn't it? Uh, United States, Biden faces pressure to strike Iran after US troops were killed. The royal family, King Charles, uh, Kate Middleton, discharged from hospital, both of them there. And a game changer. This is in health. A new blood test has uh, screens for Alzheimer's 
one step closer to reality. And there's a map too that it shows that Chinese explorers may have discovered New Zealand before the Europeans took their claims in the sixth. It was the 15th century map they found, I think. And the Green Party Schwarbuck, she dismisses social media claims about footage of Garman allegedly shoplifting. And did I did I read it right that it looked as though she was there with it? A football, Wellington Phoenix, uh, the, the Phoenix Foster, uh, keeper Foster handed one game banned for a controversial red card. And environment, new recycling rules, what you need to know. What you need to know about your recycling. We can have a look at that. Yeah, I don't know, you interested in recycling? Dig a hole and bear it? No, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. Uh, we take it down to the recycling. We've got a recycling place here. A very good one. You just pull up and you put put them all in the right bins. And then they put it all in one bin <laughs> and chuck it in the landfill. Recycling centres are set to change much of New Zealand on uh, – this is much of New Zealand on Thursday. The new standards are uh, supposed to be nationwide, but some councils lack the infrastructure to handle the changes. Recycling truck driver Neville Whitlock is a hard worker and he does it in style. He said, it sounds sort of silly driving a recycling truck wearing a, a bow tie. <laughs> it does. Uh, the bow tie and floral buttonhole aren't the usual uniform for this line of work. Once every couple of days, a customer says, love your bow tie. Oh, that's why he does it. He wears them, he wears them all day, every day, while colleagues, uh, while he's collecting hundreds of bins, I should say, not colleagues. His, his colleagues do the work while he sits in there with his bow tie, does he? No, not like that. Anyway, so there's new changes. He said, I think it's a good move. What's the good move? From February the 1st, much of the country will have, the follow, have to follow these rules. Last year, the previous government introduced a plan to standardise recycling nationwide. He said, I think it's a good idea. I think it does, does uh, simplify things. And uh, 1, 2 and 5, that's going to help tremendously. What's 1, 2 and 5? What is that? 1, 2 and 5 must be... I don't know. doesn't really say. What's one, two, and five? Plastic bottles, trays, and containers grades one, two, and five are allowed in your recycling bin. So so too are paper, cardboard, cans, glass, uh, and all sorts of other things like that. There's a list of what you're allowed to put in and what you're not. Wellington's already introduced the new rules, and all the region's recycling up at the, what do they call it, the OG Fibre Solutions Process Plant. So that's where they're doing it in Wellington. The team, they, they look, they, they work from, what is it, dawn till dusk. They do. Okay, that's Wellington. Very good. Okay, what else have we got? And we've got a backlash in Australia after white supremacists gather in Sydney for the third day in a row. That's not very good, is it? This is um, brought to you by News Hub. And we've got Emma Cropper. She's, she hasn't come a cropper, but she is reporting here. Australia's Prime Minister has condemned white supremacists who have gathered in large numbers in Sydney. And it comes after a major police operation was underway on Monday after about 30 neo-Nazi socialist network members gathered at Artamon Reserve at 8.30 in the morning. It's very early. Uh, it's a disturbing sight seeing far-right group dressed all in black whose identities are kept secret but their views are not. It's the third day in a row that white supremacists have gathered in Sydney, the first appearance on Australia Day, boarding a train, suspected... Oh, that was, a, was that the one in, in Balaclavas? More than 60 members boarded the train carrying shields and a banner while allegedly chanting racist slogans. What were the slogans? Six of them had... They'd been, they were arrested with dozens of infringements issued. This conversation and your actions are being recorded on a body-worn camera. A police could be heard saying to a member of the group on Monday and they were moved on by officers 
with a clear message condemning their actions. Well, you can't you're allowed to say what they like. They're just not allowed to um, incite violence. People can do that. There's laws about that. And if they take away those laws, I mean, you might not agree with them. I don't agree with them. Uh, I don't agree with them as white supremacists. I don't think there's that many of them. And it makes me wonder whether it's all just invented, whether that, whether they're actually just running interference for the for the communists and the fascists, the globalists, just to de- destabilize a country. Could be. Who knows? Many states have already banned the display of Nazi flags and symbols. See, I don't think you should do that even. Not uh, not that I agree with that sort of thing. It's just that I think that it's you know it is a freedom of expression, isn't it? You're and you're if you have a flag or if you have signs, you're expressing your uh, right, your freedom of expression, aren't you? It's free speech. So I don't think they should be banning things like that. You just just keep just stop people inciting violence is one. And the other one is um, violent people. Just arrest them, put them away. And if they're from overseas, deport them back. Pay for a nice motel for the night. We don't mind. Well, it doesn't have to be nice, but pay for them and we'll buy a flight back for them. Taxpayer can pay for that and send them back to the country they came from, from the shithole they came from. <laughs> Usually that's the case, isn't it? Uh, so that, so the, the big news at the moment is a suspected arson destroys a shop in South Auckland barber shop. And... Um, We'll just give you that one again. Manurera Barber Shop has been destroyed in a suspected arson, and that's just come through. Uh, South Auckland Barber Shop. A fire and emergency in New Zealand. They're receiving multiple calls about a blaze in a block of shops in Russell Road in South Auckland, suburb of Manurera, just before four o'clock. Fire and New Zealand spokesperson said on arrival the shop was well involved in flames. However, crews worked quickly to contain and extinguish the fire. Spokesman confirmed that the blaze is being treated as suspicious. And investigation, investigators from FINS are, uh, and the police as well are on site to determine the cause of that one. And uh, so that's brought to you by newshub.co.nz. And we'll go across to the Herald and see if they've got something new there. Deep shock, Dad's grief. Uh, Dad's grief after son found dead in a Dunedin home. Oh, that's, that is terrible. Let's uh, check that one out. The father of a Dunedin man found dead in his home was in deep shock when he heard of his son had died. Gujit Singh's father, who is an Indian, hopes there will be a fair investigation by police into his son's death. A police were called to the Hillary Street in Pine Hill, Hillary Street property, yesterday morning when they found Mr. Singh lying unresponsive amid yards of glass. The circumstances of the incident are unclear. Otago Punjabi Foundation Trust member Navindura Singh of Dunedin said that he had spoken to Singh's father yesterday after the unexpected death of the young man. He was in deep shock trying to take it all in what had happened. Singh, who's 28, was married uh, about six months ago and his wife is due to arrive in New Zealand in early February. That's terrible, isn't it? It's been uh, been living with his friends and only recently moved into the new house in Pine Hill. All right, we've got news in the background there. TNT Radio News coming up. We'll be uh, back with you after 7 o'clock with the weather forecast. Live now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The drone attack on a U.S. base by militants backed by Iran, resulting in the deaths of three U.S. soldiers, has heightened concerns about escalating tensions in the Middle East. A former CIA director labeled the attack a significant escalation amidst the ongoing crisis, which includes the October 7th terror attack by Hamas on southern Israel and Israel's subsequent military response in Gaza. Experts emphasize the need for U.S. President Joe Biden to carefully consider his response. A balanced retaliation is crucial to satisfy domestic demands for a firm response without triggering a broader regional conflict. Insufficient action might fail to deter Iran's proxies from further aggression, 
while an overly strong response could deepen the Middle East crisis. Some analysts foresee potential escalation and warn of the region teetering on the brink of a larger war. The situation also presents a strategic dilemma for Biden, as the significant escalation could inadvertently benefit Russian interests, particularly in the context of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Furthermore, a British MP has expressed concerns about the UK's potential involvement, suggesting that Britain's engagement could become necessary due to the escalating tensions. Climate activists on Sunday threw soup at the glass protecting the Mona Lisa at the Louvre Museum in Paris. The women, who had the words food repost written on their t-shirts, were protesting for a sustainable food system amidst the ongoing demonstrations by French farmers over a variety of grievances, including low wages. A video posted on social media showed the two women passing under a security barrier and getting closer to the painting before hurling soup at the glass protecting Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. While doing so, they shouted slogans advocating for a healthy and sustainable food system. The incident occurred in the midst of the French farmers' protests, which had caused disruptions across the country. The farmers have been demonstrating against government policies that they argue are harming their livelihoods, such as rising fuel taxes and the liberalization of trade agreements. The Louvre Museum confirmed the incident and announced that the painting had not been damaged. A spokesperson for the museum stated that the security measures were in place to prevent any harm to the painting. The climate activist protest did not receive support from all quarters, as some criticized their methods as being too extreme and disrespectful to the iconic painting. Others, however, praised the women's cause and drew attention to the important issues that they were highlighting. French agricultural unions are prepared to mount an indefinite siege on Paris starting Monday as part of ongoing protests calling for the government to roll back a range of uncompetitive regulations hurting the livelihoods of the nation's growers and agricultural workers. According to France's two main farming unions, their members are ready to converge on the French capital with their tractors and other farming equipment. All major roads will be blocked for an indefinite period, mimicking a medieval siege without the bloodshed, until their grievances are solved. Paused its funding to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, following allegations of staff involvement in a Hamas-led terrorist attack against Israel on October 7th. This decision aligns with similar actions taken by several countries, including the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Germany, Finland, Japan, and the Netherlands. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong has expressed serious concerns regarding these allegations. The suspension comes after calls for action from opposition figures, such as Foreign Affairs Shadow Minister Simon Birmingham and Shadow Home Affairs Minister James Patterson. Despite halting funding to the UNRWA, Australia continues its humanitarian aid efforts in Gaza, having announced a $21.5 million aid package in January, which includes $6 million for UNRWA. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thanks very much, James. The time is coming up to five minutes past seven. I'll be back in a moment with the weather. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars. It's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. 
88.1 FM, the wireless weather. All righty, we've had fun and games here this morning just after five minutes past seven. And uh, yes, the fun and games uh, with the uh, the equipment has been uh, uh, really poured upon me. A lot of pressure on me this morning, eh, Digger? Yes, got a lot of pressure on you this morning. All right, well, let's look at the extremes first of all. And uh, the highest temperature is still being recorded in Gisborne there with 19.5 degrees. But it's also pretty warm up in uh, Whangarei Kaitara as well. They've got 19 degrees. Tauranga's on 19. Gisborne, Gisborne, they've got 20 degrees today, yes, and uh, almost 20. We're 19 and a half, near enough. Taupo and Rotorua 16, Hamilton 15. Uh, Masterton there, along with Wellington, both on 15 degrees. Palmerston North, 17 this morning. And uh, Mount Egmont, just at the foot of Mount Egmont, their place called New Plymouth, 19 degrees for you. Top of the South Island, Nelson on 13. The West Coast down there to Westport, 12 degrees. France Joseph, 11. Queenstown's also on 11. Uh, all the way down to Invercargill with 11 degrees. Stewart Island, 14. The Chatham Islands, they're 17, so they're quite warm out there. Dunedin's on 14. Timaru, 8. That's, quite, that's the coldest place in the whole country. Timaru is 7.6 at the moment. Castle Point is the windiest place. They've got 43 kilometres of wind blowing through there. And Napier Airport has 6.6 millimetres of rain. Gosh, I hope I've got the, um, the auto... Oh, yes, I have the auto stop on that otherwise it'll just go through to the next thing while I'm going through this and I think we've just about covered everything Blenheim's on 10 Christchurch 10 that's right we've got Timaru the short forecast for all New Zealand valid until midnight tonight in the west from Northland to Tauramanui also for um, including the Coromandel Peninsula mainly fine weather today a bit isolated showers about Coromandel spreading elsewhere from the afternoon and evening some possibly heavy Bay of Plenty to Taupo mostly cloudy a uh, bit of fine weather though afternoon showers in the ranges for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, uh, mostly rain today with some heavy falls possible about the Wairua district at first. The Taranaki to Taihapi and Wellington, also Wairarapa, cloudy periods, isolated showers for Taihapi and Wairarapa, and possibly Wellington this evening. For Marlborough and Nelson and the South Island, also Buller and Westland, fine weather for you today. Evening cloud in Marlborough. Canterbury, Otago and Southland, also Fjordland will throw you in. Yes, we'll throw you in there. Uh, you've got a few showers spreading north in the afternoon and evening. Chatham Island's just low cloud today and a bit of rain. That's it for you. Let's find my way back to the turntable and uh, we'll see what else we've got on the boil. It's coming up to seven minutes past, I think it is. Seven minutes, yeah, seven minutes past seven. A very good morning to you. Let's hope you're having a good one. Yes, nothing's working. Why isn't that working? That should work. Hey, why not give TNT Radio a follow? We sure would love you to do that. We're on all the social, major social platforms, including, of course, Facebook, Twitter, now X, Instagram, Gab, and Getter, among others. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yeah, and just before the news, we were talking about the, um, the Dunedin death, the father's shock after the man was found covered in blood and glass. I wonder what happened. They're not sure whether it's a suicide or whether he really had an accident, ran through the door or something, or it's a suspicious. But anyway, his father's in shock, as you would be. The father of the Dunedin man found dead at his home. He's in deep shock when he heard about his son's death. Gurjit Singh's father, who's an Indian, he hopes, no kidding, he's an Indian, he hopes there'll be a fair investigation by police into the son's death. The police were called to the Hill Street Pine Hill yesterday morning when they found that Mr Singh was lying unresponsive amid shards of glass. The circumstances of the incident are unclear. I think we did all this before the news, didn't we? Now, there's about two weeks ago he had found his garage door open and was suspicious of a break-in and had since bought a CCTV camera to install at the house but didn't get time. The father said he came with dreams to the city that he might 
never dreamed his life, he never dreamed his life would end like this. Of course not. Lavendura Singh said that uh, the French described Singh as a very humble and without enemies. Sanalt Amut, he lived uh, with Singh for three years and he just said he was just a hard-working bloke, a nice person, a good person to be around, very responsible as well. We can't figure out. It's still a big shock for us, they said. It was just pretty, you just a pretty normal, nice guy, no drinking, no smoking, that kind of person. Not like you. Oh, I don't drink. Well, you used to. I know I didn't, I know, but forgetting those things which are behind me, don't, don't remind me. Anyway, but I didn't have a problem with it. Well, some might debate that. <laughs> no, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? Shut up, we're on the radio. Nine, uh, nine minutes past. Ten, minute, ten past now. That's the Pine Hill thing. It's very sad, very sad. Now, other news with the, the Herald today. Uh, well, now, right now, and you find them at NZ. Well, you can with trouble getting the words out there. You had a stroke or something. No, I think I'm all right. I just, I don't know. What's wrong with you? I don't know. We'll get there. Uh, Radio New Zealand. No, it's not. It's uh, New Zealand Herald. Gosh, it's because the program has all turned itself upside down. Nothing's working. I push buttons and they don't work. So the father's in deep shock. Now brace yourself, Parliament's back and it's a Super Tuesday. So what's going on? Are we allowed to read this one? Let's see if they'll let us. It looks like we are. It looks like enable autoplay. No, we don't want to do that. Now Parliament returns today, this is Tuesday, after a long summer hiatus and the resumption of normal submission, uh, transmission <laughs> is no ordinary sitting day. Today is Super Tuesday. What does that mean, I wonder? It's not the Super Tuesday, the name given to the day during the American presidential primary election when a flurry of states hold primary elections or caucuses potentially stitching up a particular party's nomination. Stitching up. And by extension, propelling a single person to, uh, to within a whisker of being the most powerful person in the world. In New Zealand, Super Tuesday is the name given by people who work in Parliament to a Tuesday during Parliament sitting when the Monday has been a national public holiday, and we did that, and we're going to do it again next week with Waitangi Day. Do you know that Waitangi is a watery death? I'd, is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got uh, Tangi as a funeral. Yeah. And, what's that on? And why? No, not, yeah, why? That's water, isn't it? I suppose it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, so it's Waitangi. That's where they, they used to put them on, did the, is that what you were telling me the other day? They, Used to bury the dead up there. Or the spirits go off. They go to Spirits Bay up in the far north, right at the very top. Now, in New Zealand, you know, we got that. And now, when this happens, Cabinet is delayed until Tuesday, schmoozing it up against the day's already packed schedule. Party caucuses meet in the morning. Question time begins at 2 p.m. Oh, gosh. Usually, they well, get to work if you get your Super Tuesday nonsense. Get to work. There's work to do. I haven't got time to piss about. Usually there's also a, a post-cabinet press conference, but this Tuesday it's so super <laughs> that it's been cancelled. The press conference has been cancelled. E- each of those events, they present opportunities for members of parliament to be, sto- uh, to be stopped by media, meaning some MPs will be in the limelight for the, for the, for, for the time of the first majority party caucus meeting at 9am until Christopher Luxon wraps up his cabinet meeting to head back to the debating chamber. Ahead of question time, there will be a ministerial statement followed by a debate of the government's decision to deploy six troops to the Red Sea to aid the United States and the United States and the United Kingdom against the Houthi strikes. 
the Houthi rebels, and the government announced the deployment last week. Why have we just moved into this story? I don't, I don't know. Let's just read it. Read what's on the page in front of you then. Read properly. All right. Neither, uh, neither Labour. Is it neither or neither? I say, I say neither. Some people, it's either either. <laughs> neither Labour nor the Greens support it. Members of, from those parties will have the opportunity to ask the government questions about deployment. Race relations will likely be a top of the agenda as well in the wake of the hui, the hui motu. What's a hui motu, Grant? Well, I think it's a meeting across the country and the Ratna celebrations. Ratna, that's a religious thing, isn't it? Yes, they are. They've got a pa up there. What's a pa, Grant? A pa is a fortress. Why do they need a fortress for? They've got wild animals? No, that was to keep other Maori out. That was before we got here. Anyway, the Ratna celebrations, when the government was given a strong word about its agenda for Māori, New Zealand First Shane Jones told Radio New Zealand he welcomed the chance to debate things like the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. The Waitangi Tribunal has come up with lots of principles. Principles of partnership must not and cannot defeat democracy. Yeah, the majority rule. (laughs) Which is why I want the Waitangi Tribunal substantially redirected and its writ changed. They cannot and must not have the authority to write a new constitution for New Zealand, according to Jones. Good on you, Jonesy. That's good, mate. Yeah, I like you. He's part Maori too. He's good. He's one of my Maori mates. Although, uh, if you go look at Samantha Edwards, no relation to me, but if you go and look at Samantha Edwards over at Counterspin Media there, you might think differently about Jonesy and Winston. And it's likely, getting back to the story, it's likely a considerable portion of question time will probe the government's Maori agenda. The recent remarks from the ACT leader David Seymour about his desire to flatten the tax system will also come under scrutiny. The Super Tuesday will even will will, will what will be, will be even more super than usual with the forty fifth Parliament only just getting into gear this Tuesday. I thought Luxy said he was going to have a was going to be a short holiday break. I thought it was going to be short and going to get back and get the work done, but it's just all piss and wind, isn't it? Just like babies. <laughs> It's a rubber and rev counter. They've got the big rev counter on the dashboard there. That's what they used to have back in the 70s, big fat rev counter, big fat tyres. And the car, they had two mice on a rubber band underneath the bonnet, you know, or a flipping Morris Miners engine or something, 1100 cc, 1100, yeah, ccs. At the beginning, at um, so have you missed that? Tuesday, MPs, the maiden speeches, that's going to happen. I thought that happened before the holidays. Um, we've got that happening, yeah. And they begin at four, quarter past four today with the National Rimu Knuckle, uh, Rima Knuckle. That's an interesting knuckle duster. Uh, they, uh, they go, they go until dinner, dinner break. When's that? Cameron Brewer, Dinah Kilp- uh, Kirkpatrick, Carl Bates and Carlos Sheng, Ching, Ching, and uh, Miles Anderson all giving their maiden speeches today. For Labour, one of the biggest events of the week will be when the valedictory speech of veteran Labour MP Calvin Davis, uh, that's going to be interesting, which which will be delivered at, at uh, quarter to six uh, today, tomorrow, quarter to six tomorrow. Davis held the deputy leadership of the party under the leadership of Jacinda Ardern. No, don't talk about her, that rotten cow. I oh, don't talk about that. Don't talk about women like that. Uh, well, I've heard you. I know, I know, I know, and it's naughty. Smack hand. Uh, Dame Jacinda Ardern, actually, to you. And uh, Christopher Hipkins, Chris Hipkins, he's the former Prime Minister. He took over after her when she jumped ship. And um, he, he's been the, this is Calvin, he's been the MP since 2008, although 
an, an MP, I should say, uh, yes, spent a stint outside of Parliament after losing his seat. He lost his seat in 2011 in the election. Uh, Parliament only sit once a week before breaking for Waitangi Day, which is on the 6th of February, and we commemorate the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi up there in uh, Waitangi, which is not far from Paihia, and yeah, just go through Paihia and over the bridge, and away you go. And there's a nice motel there and a boat ramp. And uh, my son used to keep his boat, Kiwi used to keep his boat up there at the um, Bay of Islands Yacht Club on the pole moorings there. It's a bit tricky though, <laughs> it's a bit tidal, but tricky, but he's pretty good at it. He's good at handling boats. I taught him to handle boats when he was 12 years old. He used to drive my 40-footer around the marina and it got quite good around the, you know, the going, uh, first of all, we got out in the, out in the in water away from things, you know, find a boy or something. Not a boy swimming, you know, one of those, a booby, a booby as you Americans say. Find one of those and then just get used to the idea of manoeuvring the boat and the prop walk as well. Props, the motor turns one way, the propeller goes one way, you find out which way it is and you can use the walk of the prop to spin the stern around, sterns the back of the boat. Anyway, so Parliament will only be sitting once a week. Why is that? When a large contingent of MPs head north for commemoration, it's just it's too many breaks. You know, get to work, get to work, I say. Thomas, and the person that wrote this is Thomas, uh, looks like Coughlin, and he's a deputy political editor. He covers the political politics in Parliament. And he's worked for the New Zealand Herald since 2021, but he has worked in the press gallery since 2018. So he's no slug. He knows all about what's going on there. And there's been a whopper mishap, a Viagra orgy. Really? At Hungry Jack's? Yeah. Australian man escapes jail for exposing his penis. <laughs> Can't read this out of the news. Well, it's on the news. The New Zealand Herald came out the day before yesterday. Uh, he exposed his penis at a um, at a hungry Jacks after, <laughs> after a, a super Vi- Viagra orgy. Oh, we should ring um, uh, David Seymour. He likes Viagra. Have you got that thing on David Seymour? I think I have. Let's have a look. David Seymour. I'll just check him. I think I've got him under spots. All spots. David Seymour. David, David Seymour. David Seymour, um, what's, here we go, this is David Seymour, he likes Viagra, I think this is the one. The original reason I got vaccinated is because Chris Hipkins, the Minister for COVID-19 Response, wrote me a letter asking me to, and I thought, well, he's a Minister for the Crown, so I've basically been asked by the Queen, I can't say no to that. I think it's a shame some people have seen uh, being against this vaccine as part of anti-government sentiment. One of the reasons I believe in freedom is that living in a free society means that science and technology can come to our aid, make our lives better, safer and more comfortable. I think it's fantastic. The same business that gave us Viagra <laughs> through the miracles of science and capitalism has developed in record time a, a vaccine that solves one of the world's most pressing problems. I've read the material people have sent me about how people are dying and it's not really a vaccine and it doesn't work and so on. Let's be really clear. Hundreds of millions of people have had this vaccine. It reduces transmission. It reduces hospitalisation. It reduces death from COVID-19. Those are the facts. If you don't want it, you don't have to do it. But as someone who enjoys living in a free society, who loves science and technology, and wants to get out of all the other restrictions governments are imposing as a result of this virus, vaccination makes an enormous amount of sense to me. 
Bullshit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now he needs to be taken to taken to task on all that rubbish that he was spouting. That is absolute rubbish, isn't it? And here he is now. He's going to be after Winnie does his first eighteen months as deputy prime minister, Winston Churchill Peters. Winston Peters. Uh, we've got David Seymour taking over. So what's this business about Viagra? Why would he bring that up? Is he a pervert? Is it? Is Seymour? Are you a pervert, Seymour? Twenty-one minutes past seven, and that's um, the half-wit David Seymour. They're talking about Viagra, and we're back at that story with the Hungry Jacks, the Australian man who's escaped jail for visiting the Hungry Jacks drive-through with a visible erection after claiming he was suffering from the effects of a super Viagra. David Richardson, a farrier from Humpty Doo, is that a place? Humpty-Doo, it's a place over in Australia. He pleaded guilty last week in a Darwin local court uh, and was given a good behaviour bond. What does that mean, a bond? Give him him something. Uh, Northern Territory News reported this. Richard Davidson's lawyer. Is it Richard? David Richardson. (laughs) You are are dyslexic, aren't you? Yes, yes. Uh, Richardson's lawyer, Peter Maley, he told the court that his client had taken a substance known as Pitbull Super. Really? Uh, Which is a Super Viagra. The substance, which contains multiple erectile dysfunction medicines, promises prom- <laughs> promises on the packet to give a man an erection that lasts for days. It had the desired effect, Maley noted, according to his lawyer, after enjoying his time with a number of young ladies. Oh, no, this shouldn't be in the What's the New Zealand Herald doing? Anyway, some pervert there wants just going around and exposing himself. And a flippin' 16-year-old co-worker had to put up with that rubbish. Reduced to tears by the experience. Disgraceful. And we didn't need to go into all that detail. It's bizarre. It's bizarre that the hill report it. You're a bunch of perverts in there as well, probably. Shocking. And I shouldn't have read it out. I don't have time to read things, so I just read them Read them at sight. <laughs> That's why it's so bad. That's why it sounds so bad. But never mind. Okay, boaty, boaties. Here in New Zealand, a boaty fears he may lose a foot after a boat ramp injury. Uh, a, a flesh-eating bacteria. No, it's not. It means your body's not healthy. It's got nothing to do with the flesh-eating bacteria. It's your own body. It's the microbes in your body. You're not healthy. You haven't got healthy terrain. That's the problem there, mate, and you'll probably lose that foot. It'll probably have to be taken off by the look of it. have to whip that off. Now, a boaty fears that he could lose his foot to an infection after stepping on a corroded, a corroded metal at a council-maintained boat ramp in Rotorua. No, you're not well, mate. That's the problem. You've got to get that blood right. You've got to start eating properly. You've got whatever you're doing, whatever you're putting into your body, and also the, the jabs as well. The flipping jabs, they've lowered everybody's immunity. All, all my friends that have had to get jabbed because of work, um, they're all coming down with the so-called COVID. They're testing positive COVID. What it's not, it's a vaccine injury. They've, they're all damaged from getting jabbed. If you think you're out of the woods, you're not. Sorry to, to upset you in the morning here. 24 minutes past seven, sorry to upset you. Um, and now the council said that it's taken action to address the risk of the, on the boat ramp, but warns more loose metal may wash ashore. How did it get there? He's had four surgeries, this poor chap, a four centimetre deep wound. Kingsley Ridings says the potential worst case outcome for him would be amputation. Yeah, no, the worst case outcome for you would be to lose your life because if you don't have that foot taken off, you will die. It's the... Um, we have to always go for the, the lesser of two weevils. Uh, yeah, two evils, I should say. Um, he said that he was uh, guiding the boat into the water and he stepped on a jagged piece of metal, a part of the anti-slip grid, and covered the lake it covered the lake slime. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a problem, eh? The slimy lake. 
Like some politicians we've got down in Wellington at the moment today, slime. Um, it went four centimetres into the side of this right heel. No, no, this is awful. Almost the way, all the way through, and it snapped off. Oh, gosh, you poor bloke. No, you've got to get that out because that, that's what happens. The body does that. It starts to fester around things, so you know you've got, you've got to get that out. You've got to do it. You need what you do. You don't need antibiotics. They don't work. <laughs> antibiotics are rubbish. It's always been a nonsense. If you don't believe you can't say that about antibiotics. I have just said it. It's rubbish. You go to Dr. Sam Bailey, D-R Sam, S-A-M, Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y dot com. Dr. Sam Bailey, she talks about antibiotics, penicillin. It's absolute just a, a load of fiddlesticks. What saves people is the surgeon getting rid of the bacteria, getting rid of the, not bacteria, well, it is. Basically, it's just microbes. Everybody, everybody in our bodies, we have about two kilograms of microbes in us. And that's what's going on. It's the microbes. They're not bacteria coming from outside. That's B- Beauchamp, Antoine Beauchamp. He had the theory right. It was a cellular theory or the terrain theory. And what, what you're looking at under the microscope there, Mr. Mr. Scientist, is you're looking at microbes. You're not looking at germs coming from outside. It's what the body does to protect itself. And so sometimes when you get a puncture wound, that's a, that's a bit of a problem because the skin goes all around it and, it and you get dirt and stuff in there and the body doesn't like it, so it's fighting against it. And that can happen. So you've got to get in there and cut that stuff out. So you need a good surgeon. You need someone that knows what they're doing. You don't need antibiotics. They flipping don't work. I've proved it myself. They don't work. Um, and there's no such thing as a tetanus. Tetanus, it's just the type of wound it is. You know, they're blaming it on horses and all this sort of stuff and dirt and cat piss and I don't know, all sorts, it's all sorts of things. It's just, it's a nonsense. It's just a lie. The, the Bible says the world is run by the God of this world. He's the father of lies. The whole thing's lies. Everything you're taught at school's rubbish. You've got to relearn everything. Relearn the whole lot. Anyway, he's had four surgeries. And what's happened to him? They've been probably putting him on antibiotics, which, you know, rot your teeth and lower your immunity even further. And he would have been jabbed as well. And they would have given him a tetanus injection, which would have made him even sicker. They just need the surgeon there to go and do a proper job and clean out that wound. That's what you need to do. Get some get some rum on it. No, not rum. Some brandy. Pour some whiskey over it or something. Oh, that's a waste of good whiskey. Oh, well, some isopropyl on oh, no, it. Put something on it anyway, just to clean it out, you know. Flush it. Oh, with salt and water. What do you call it? Uh, saline solution. Just flush it out. Get it clean. Get it wrapped up. Change the dressing. Get some of that paraffin gauze or something like that to help the help the wound heal. That's what, Otherwise, you've got to chop your foot off. And if you don't chop your foot off, you've got to chop your leg off. And that doesn't happen. You'll die. You'll, lose, you'll die. So something's got to happen. Don't trust antibiotics. They don't flip and work. Doctors are lying to us. Stay away from doctors. You don't need to go and have a checkup. You know how you feel. Honestly, it's just terrible. Um, yeah, I, I, yesterday, I played it. I'll leave it to today. But tomorrow, I'll give you Dr. Gauchet. He's the, um, the Dane. I think he's from Denmark. He's a doctor over there. He says that we, the, the, the leading cause of death is... is Doctors giving you prescription drugs, and they have no doctors have no idea. They some old people take a five or six drugs a day, and they have no idea of the interaction of the drugs, and that's what killing people. And then they give them antidepressants. Three percent of people that that they gave give the doctors give antidepressants to. Three percent of them fall over and and break their hip, and then they die. They can't handle it. When you get older, boy, you can't you can't handle having accidents. I had an accident. I'm sixty three, and I had an accident. About a year and a half ago, it's taken me. I'm still not quite right over it. I fell over backwards with a big chunk of steel. My son was on the other end. Shouldn't have been doing it. A silly thing, really. And um, but it took me a while to recover from that. 
half a dozen, oh, you know, about three hernias. <laughs> but I am. I'm healing. I fixed myself. I don't, I don't trust going to the doctor. I don't trust that mesh and all that sort of stuff. I got rid of one of them. Anyway, I won't talk about my hernias. It's a bit off-putting, isn't it? Anyway, it's not as off-putting as the penis. Fancy that. Fancy showing your private parts. And it, no, no, I wouldn't accept that. Lock the bugger up. Lock him up. Um, horrendous and unacceptable. The children's knocked unconscious. These are people that under care with what they call Otamareki here in New Zealand. It's got some Maori name. I don't know why. It's just child, youth and family, isn't it? Ministry for children. And uh, so what's been happening is it's... Um, uh, well, we heard it, didn't we? We heard it earlier there. We've got the children's um, minister for children, Karen Kilgore. Uh, is that he? No, that's not how you say her name. Oh, I don't know how to say it. Karen Kaur, is it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Some funny name. It's got too many, too many consonants stuck in there. It's got ch chore. Is it? Oh, I don't know. Minister of Health, Karen. <laughs> She's disappointed to read having an increase in the number of children harmed in care. It's unacceptable, she said. Of course it is. We know all that. We heard a really good report actually over at Radio New Zealand there on Checkpoint. She asked the minister, uh, what was her name? Uh, anyway, she asked her some blooming good questions. Um, see if I can find that one for you. Anyway, no. Anyway, let's have the 6 o'clock new bulletin. That's the latest one. Oh, no, we might have a late. I'll just refresh that, and we'll give you the latest 6 o'clock bulletin while I go off and see a man about a racehorse. Let's do that now. It's half past 7. RNZ News at 7. Ngamihi Mahana. Good morning. I'm Nicola Wright. That'll be enough of that, Nicola. There'll be enough of that. You speak English. A group of former Gloria Vale members have filed a multi-million dollar claim against the Christian community for lost wages and compensation. The claim, believed to total just over $5 million, has been lodged with the Employment Relations Authority and follows two employment court rulings that the six women and three men were Gloria Vale employees. Jean Edwards reports. It's the first time a dollar figure has emerged, formally quantifying the amount Gloria Vale could owe the nine former members. They're seeking payments for lost wages, breach of minimum entitlements, compensation and penalties. The group's supporters are calling for other leavers and current members in the same situation to join a wider claim for entitlements that RNZ understands could ultimately top $20 million. A Gloria Vale spokesman declined to comment because of the legal proceedings. A Jewish woman who's worked for the United Nations Refugee Agency for Palestinians is urging the government not to suspend aid to Gaza. A dozen countries have halted their funding because Israel is alleging that UNRWA workers were involved in the Hamas attacks on Israel on October the 7th. New Zealand will review its $1 million contribution before paying it, but says it does that every year in any case. Marilyn Garson from Alternative Jewish Voices, who's also a former UNRWA contractor, says it's vital the agency gets the money. No one else can match UNRWA's facilities, their, their uh, infrastructure, their human resources. If UNRWA is not funded to continue, people will starve. They are starving now, and more people will starve. Marilyn Garson says UNRWA has done as much as it can by sacking the accused workers and launching an investigation. The Independent Children's Monitor says Oranga Tamariki is failing to carry out enough checks on children returning home from state care. New figures from the Ministry for Children show more than 500 children in its care were abused or neglected in the year to June. 13% of children who returned home from its care were harmed. The Monitor's chief executive, Aaron Jones, says its investigation shows not enough is being done to ensure children are safe. 
What we saw is that there wasn't sufficient presence from Oranga Tamariki. They went there in these homes to make sure that everything was being done to make sure that they were safe. So only 35% of these kids were visited weekly for the first month from when they returned. You'd expect to see the rate of visits a lot higher. Aaron Jones says the Independent Monitor will release its own report on Thursday looking at what's happening to children in care. The Finance Minister says she will be talking to iwi leaders at Waitangi about advancing Māori economic interests. Government relations with Māori are under pressure because of the Coalition's policies relating to the Treaty of Waitangi and Te Reo Māori. But Nicola Willis told First Up she'll be engaging with the Iwi Chairs Forum on how the government and Māori will work together. There's such huge potential there to increase Māori access to capital, to ensure that we're looking at some of those consenting barriers that get in the way for iwi who are wanting to do exciting new developments. Nicola Willis says there's also scope for the government and Māori to work together on housing. Nearly 100 migrants have died or disappeared in the central and eastern Mediterranean so far in this, the first month of this year, more than twice the toll recorded during the same period of 2023. The International Organisation for Migration found that 3,041 migrants were dead or missing in the Mediterranean last year, about 700 more than in 2022. Earlier this month, about 40 Tunisian migrants went missing after setting off in a boat toward the Italian coast. Tunisia has replaced Libya as the main departure point for Mediterranean crossings for people fleeing poverty and conflict. French farmers have begun using their tractors to blockade key routes into Paris as part of broader country-wide protests. Their grievances... Just just getting back to that story. Those people that are... They're not fleeing. They're flipping Muslim terrorists coming in to invade the West. That's what that is. ...include falling incomes, environmental regulations, rising red tape and competition from imports. The BBC's Bethany Bell was at one of the roads leading into the French capital. The A1 motorway, which is the motorway between Paris and Lille, at the moment it's blocked here. What we've seen here is that the demonstrators are cooperating with the police. They were waiting in a side road before they came onto the motorway. They came onto the motorway with the police leading it. But it's a very, very big police presence here and a great deal of anger from the farmers. One farmer told uh, French television a little earlier that they wanted to make Paris starve. A Wellington Regional Councillor says he's stepping in to try to keep a Porirua-based charity open after abuse and threats towards staff closed its doors. The creator of Free For All Share Store took to social media this week in a plea for help to ensure the safety of volunteers. We already did that story. Councillor David Lee hopes a registration or membership system could help deter customers who feel free to disrespect the store. A crash is causing delays on Auckland's southern motorway. Oh. It involves several vehicles near Princess Street, but no one appears to be injured. One Only northbound lane is currently blocked, and police are advising motorists to avoid the area. Right. King Charles and his daughter-in-law Kate, the Princess of Wales, both returned home from hospital overnight after undergoing planned treatments. Charles had spent three nights in hospital after having a corrective procedure for an enlarged prostate. A few hours earlier, Kate also went home. She'd spent two weeks at the same private hospital following abdominal surgery. Both are now recuperating and have cancelled upcoming public engagements. That's the news. That's the news. That's the news. Uh, And you're seeing no, 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 that's enough of you. Okay, that's Radio Zealand News. It's 24 minutes to 8 and uh, just having a quick look at the short forecast in the west from north into Taramanui, also for the Coromandel Peninsula, mainly fine weather today. Uh, You've got a possible shower about Coromandel spreading elsewhere this afternoon and evening with possible heavy 
thunderstorms as well. Uh, for the Bay of Plenty and Tarpo, mainly fine today. Good for you. However, a few afternoon showers there just to spoil it all about the ranges. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, periods of rain with the heavy falls possible about Wairua District this morning. Taranaki to Taihapi in Wellington, also Wairarapa. Cloudy periods, isolated showers for Taihapi and Wairarapa and possibly heavy this evening in, in Wellington. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, fine weather, evening cloud in Marlborough. Canterbury, Otago, Southland and Fjordan, mainly fine. But a few showers developing in Southland this morning and spreading further north this afternoon. Chatham's just low cloud and rain. That's it for you. I'll be back in a moment. Here's Ben Shapiro. Ben, oh, I've got that doctor. Oh, let me, let me do that. Oh, straight after Ben, we'll go to that doctor. We've got time. i got time. you got time. i got time. It's seven minutes, but it's well worth it. He's this uh, Danish doctor, Peter Gotche. Have a listen to him after Ben. Because physiologically, men and women are different, sir. I, okay, there so is ben. no debate about it. Equality is not about physical... Oh, my God, this is so basic. We have to get into it. Okay, when we talk about equality and opportunity... We talk about cerebral opportunity. We are not saying I want to be able to be 200 pounds like a man and beat the shit out of somebody else. We're not saying that. We're saying you get the ability to get the job, to be the CEO, and nobody questions when you're driven at 50 and have three children how you're managing it all. Don't question me. That's what I'm saying. I can be a CEO and a mother. Right. See, this is what feminism used to be. My name is Peter Gertje. I'm a director of the Nordic Cochrane Center in Copenhagen and Professor of Research Design and Analysis at the University of Copenhagen. Two years ago, I found... Look, I know, just bear with... For those who heard this yesterday, just bear with it. It's worth it. It's worth... And it's worth revisiting it as well. Okay? Have a, it's good. You'll, you'll, you'll know now. That you stay away from doctors. Well away. You don't need them. You don't need to go for checkups because they find stuff that's not wrong with you. I doubt that our prescription drugs are the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Our drugs kill around 200,000 people in America every year. And half of these people die while they do what their doctors told them. So they die because of the side effects. The other half die because of errors. And it's often the doctors that make the errors because any drug may come with 20, 30 or 40 warnings, contraindications, precautions and so on. No doctor in the world knows about all this. So they give patients drugs that they should not have given them, that interact dangerously with other drugs or food items or so on. And then the patients die. That's the other half. So uh, the other thing I found out two years ago was that um, uh, much of what the drug industry does fulfills the criteria for organized crime in US law. And they behave in many ways like the mafia does. They corrupt everyone they can corrupt. They have bought every type of person, even including ministers of health in some countries. So there is a huge amount of corruption. In, in my country, for example, Denmark, we are regarded as having very little corruption. But yet we have thousands of doctors on industry payroll, although we are just 20,000 doctors. So this is an effective kind of corruption. The drug industry buys the professors first, then chiefs of department, then other chief physicians and so on. They don't buy junior doctors. So when several thousands are on industry payroll, it's really, really bad. And that's why I wrote my um, book, uh, Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, how Big Pharma has corrupted healthcare. I hope 
to convince patients not to take so many drugs because so many die from the drugs they take. In my country, people take so many drugs that every single citizen can be in treatment with one and a half drugs from they are born till they die. This is incredible. And drugs are not that helpful. And uh, they kill very many of us. We know that. That's why drugs are the third major killer after heart disease and cancer. So what we need in the coming years is to take far fewer drugs than what we do currently. If we did that and we were careful, then we could live longer and live better lives. Because drugs have many side effects and patients often don't realize that when they become worse, that it could be a side effect of the drug, which they continue taking because that's what their doctors tell them. So when I was a specialist in internal medicine, uh, what I very often did was that I stopped a lot of drugs, particularly in elderly people, and it's, it's quite revealing to see a bedridden elderly person come into your ward, and when you stop the drugs, I mean, that person becomes many years younger. And, uh, and uh, many of these drugs affect the brain, and old people tolerate that very, very badly. They fall, and when they break a hip, a quarter of them die. And for example, antidepressant drugs are used in more than 10% of our elderly. And um, uh, they seem to kill 3% of them every year. I mean, uh, if 100 old people take an antidepressant for one year, 3% uh, of them will die because they fall and break their hip. This is a huge death rate. So a lot of other drugs and antidepressants also make f people fall and kill them. Uh, and, and they may affect your uh, cognition, your memory and all these things. And then they interact in ways that we know almost nothing about. Uh, very many elderly, they, they take more than five drugs a day. And we actually don't know how these drugs interact with each other. What we do know is that all drugs have many effects in the body and some of them interact also in their metabolism so that you can get a too high concentration of a drug if you take other drugs simultaneously. So we make a lot of harms that we don't even recognize. I have a pretty colorful collection of things people have called me during all these years. And sometimes journalists have asked me, why do you always look up controversy? And my reply is, I don't. Controversy looks me up. Because it's not popular to tell the truth in healthcare. You will get a lot of enemies. Because a lot of people make money on false premises. Doctors and industry alike. And our drug regulators and our politicians, they are on board on this wagon. So uh, very few people are independent of money in healthcare. And, uh, and of course, I have uh, attacked uh, a lot of holy cows during my career, and people have screamed loudly. Uh, in a French journal, I was called a statistical masturbist. 
because I showed with statistics that mammography screening didn't work and things like that. Um, and I was even accused of scientific misconduct by the Association of the Danish Pharmaceutical Industry, which was completely ludicrous. It was harassment from beginning to end. They came with vague arguments that we cannot recognize the conclusions in your study. And they could have come up with numbers and said, these numbers are wrong. They didn't do anything. It was only harassment. It lasted uh, 18 months, months, I think, the whole thing. And then when we were acquitted, I made sure that this nasty behavior was described in the British Medical Journal. Um, so after that, they haven't come so much after me, the Danish drug industry. And when my book about organized crime came out, they just lied about it, as they always do that my examples were old, they went back 90 years and so on. But, you know, where I demonstrate that what the 10 biggest companies do is organized crime. Uh, these examples, they were from within the last 10 to 15 years. That's not old examples. And mm -hmm. the crimes have increased because when crime pays, you will have more crime. There that's how capitalism works. That's how it works. 14 to 8, and that's Dr. Peter Gocha. He knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Men are a little bit more, like, tactful. When the mother of their children, like, the mother of their child is an absolute wench, they don't go on social media and talk about an it. They don't complain wench. to the whole time. Like, men really suffer in silence. Because it's a huge L. Like, last, last show, yeah. I was talking about my friends that are going through the, the maddest court battle, the amount of money that they have to, go, have to spend, and it's just that thing where it's like, Part of my job in the Manlem's voice is I've been speaking to so much men in the last year, Pearl, all the time, right? And I've discovered, like, I was... You find out. Yeah, so I, I was very pro-marriage, and I still believe in, in marriage and what have you not, in different circumstances, what have you not. I actually believe you should probably have a baby with a woman first to see if she's going to be crazy. Um, but Because, you know... Because no. they always say women change after... So you wouldn't yeah. get married? Oh <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly, as someone, I believe in marriage. I'm a Catholic. I think that's the best way to do you, it. You have, I agree. You, have not under, agree. you don't understand how I started on this podcast. I was like, I have three sisters and a brother. They're all married. My parents were married over 40 years. I'm the only one that's not married now. I'm out here like I'm like I want to get married, but 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 it's what a nutter. The place the place to have babies is in marriage, mate. You don't have a baby first to see what she's going to turn out like. What a halfwit. You you nutcase. 13 minutes to eight here at the uh, Liberty NZ World at Five. The World at Five with me, Grant Edwards. We'll go over to News Hub, shall we? Look at the Hub of News. See what they've got there on the hub. We'll do a yes. Now, what have we got here? We've got that big fire. A person, oh, a person dies after an e-scooter crash in Auckland. That's just come through, actually. Sorry about that. This is not good. This is why I call them temporary citizens, and I don't want my son. I wanted to get rid of his scooter. But this is an electronic, an electric scooter crash in Auckland on Monday evening. That was last night. We've only just come through now. Emergency services, they were called to the crash on Ian McKinnon Drive in Eden Terrace at about 11.30 last night. A police spokesman said the person was located in, a crit in critical condition. Not a critical. They've got a critical. It's just critical condition. And CPR was commenced, but they died a short time later. Uh, the serious crash unit was uh, in attendance and an investigation into the circumstances of the crash is ongoing. Other uh, reports here, we're looking at newshub.co.nz. Suspected arson destroys a South Auckland barber shop. And uh, William Hewitt's reporting, a South Auckland barber shop's been destroyed in a suspected arson in the early hours of Tuesday morning. 
Fire and Emergency New Zealand received multiple calls about the blaze in a block of shops in Russell Road in a South Auckland suburb of Manurira at 4am this morning. Sound suspicious. Fire and New Zealand spokespeople, they are, they've, uh, they're on arrival. They said that the shop was well involved in flames. However, crews worked quickly to contain and extinguish the fire. They said that police and fire and emergency are both, they both confirmed that the blaze is being treated as suspicious and investigators will be on site to complete a scene examination to determine the cause. Police have urged anyone with information or footage about the blaze to come forward and speak to them. Anyone with footage or information that may assist us, uh, you're asked to contact police via 105, uh, that's the police phone, according to a spokesman there. Uh, and they've got a reference number. You can ring Crime Stoppers or 0800 555 for that information. Okay, now back to uh, more stories in the United States. Biden faces pressure to strike Iran after US troops were killed. And crime, a push for police to re-examine the Piha disappearances after a woman claimed that they were hunted, hunted like prey. Royal family, King Charles and Kate Middleton, they've been discharged from hospital. And the Gloria Vale members, they believe that they are seeking, well, they're seeking millions of dollars in compensation because they were employees. And the Winter Olympics, a Russian teen skater handed four-year four-year doping ban after the 2022 Winter Olympics. In Wellington, Wellington councillor, he suggests the staff cuts to fund the tax, to fund the water, I should say. <laughs> fund, fund the water. Been cut, someone's cut their water off. No, their pipes need fixing. They're leaking. They're 3,050 leaks. And uh, we've got new rules coming out on the 1st of February for recycling rules. If you go to News Hub there, they've got the story. In Australia, backlash after white supremacists gather in Sydney for the third day in a row. And uh, what else have we got here? That barbershop, yeah, you got that there. Trending stories, Swarbrick, that's the um, the Greens leftist um, um, member of parliament. She dismisses social media claims about footage of Garman allegedly shoplifting. You would dismiss it, wouldn't you? Look after your commie mates. In crime, terrifying cli- claims of uh, being, oh, we got that. And all bets are off, fears as popular Stanley Cup confirmed confirmed to contain lead. The Stanley, oh, it's not the one you win. It's not that Stanley. It's cups, plural. It's plural crowd, plural. Oh, yeah, cups. What are the Stanley cups? They've got lead in them. Well, the Aussie, that, that's right. My friend, he doesn't drink out of normal glasses. My friend David down in um, Horrifanua. Horrifanua. <laughs> I'm going to slip up there. Eight minutes to eight. He, David, he says that um, he doesn't drink. He drinks out of just mason jars and stuff like that. Drinks water. Got beautiful spring water where he lives up in the, up in the bush there. Well away from everybody, got gang gates on his on his driveway, keep people out, and um, he drinks uh, your beautiful water with just a bit of lemon in it, and um, he and he drinks out of uh, marmite jars. He said they're the only ones that are that are safe. Don't buy any of those Chinese um, glasses and stuff like that. They're full of lead, he said. In crime, a witness described the slowest police chase ever after attempted um, Auckland robbery. Oh, we'll have a look at that one. Yeah, so let's see that that one there. Uh, who's that written by? Uh, a witness has described the moments. Hang on, I've got videos all over the place. Get rid of them. We're at News Hub. They've got videos that pop all over the place. Um, the the offender fled the Sil- Silverdale Mall after attempting to smash and grab inside the Michael Hill jewellery store. Another one put up to it. George Soros is probably paying the money to go out there. All the gang, the, the gang, it's the gang prospects. They go and do it for the older ones. Police have since arrested a twenty-year-old man. He's not that young. He's 20, 
He's old enough to make up his own mind what's right and wrong. However, one witness said it took police more than 15 minutes to chase down the vehicle. Chase it down. The witness, who wishes to remain anonymous for obvious reasons, uh, was walking down uh, Milldale's John Fair Drive. When he heard the sirens approaching, he said, I already knew the robbery had happened in the mall, so I sort of knew that this this guy was the offender. He was driving pretty slow and really taunting with the police taunting with police, doing no more than 30 kilometres per hour the whole time. He told News Hub the man was driving the vehicle, he was all dressed in black and uh, filming the police chase on his phone. (laughs) They just don't take it seriously, do they? He had his phone up taking selfies and filming all the people behind him. Yeah, he'd be a gang prospect. They do that. Uh, you, you could tell that his facial expressions that he was really amused by the whole thing. He was quite elated to be involved in a chase and was laughing to himself. He said the offender then called out to the pedestrian on the sidewalk saying, this is cool, bro. The man told News Hub that he was shocked and it took so, he took so, he was shocked that it took so long for the police to pull him up, to pull him over, you know, and described as the slowest police chase I've ever seen in my life. He just went around and round and police were, they weren't doing a thing about it. No, it was catch and release, probably. Uh, I could tell that he was probably thinking, I wonder how long I can pull this off for. The police spokesman told News Hub they took the action required to apprehend the alleged offender safely while preventing harm to him, themselves, and members of the public. Never mind yourselves, just get in there and flip and pull him out of the car, put him on the ground, put some cuffs on him, and get, the, get, him, get, him, before the, get him before a judge. And not one of those pedophile judges either. Have we got any of those? I think we've still got them, haven't we? According to Greg Hallett, we have. I hail, I'm looking at the moon right now. It's still the moon's out. It's gone a bit weird the last few days. And um, I can see blue sky right through it. So I think it's transparent. I don't think they can land on it. I think it's true. A funny thing happened on the way to the moon. That's one you want to look up. Uh, who did that now? Funny fellow. Um gone bald now. He's the one that got punched in the head by one of the astronauts when he asked him, would you swear on the Bible that you that you went to the moon? <laughs> now, the ACT Party, I did that with end-of-life choice. Yeah, you did. Ah, now, that's David Seymour. He's confident that he can persuade the coalition partners to, to back his treaty bill, and he did the same thing with the end-of-life bill. Now, let's find out about the end-of-life bill. I will just give you that now. Samantha Edwards has done that. End-of-life um, Lif, no, we need life. It's got nine. Yeah. Samantha Edwards, end of life bill. This is worth listening to. Have a listen to Samantha Edwards. She's over at countersmanmedia.com. You can find them. And while you're there, how about do you just draw out some funds and nice little 10 or $20,000 donation to help towards new camera gear that the New Zealand police have stolen from them and won't return? It's coming up to four minutes to eight. Consistent results from surveys and medical groups, as well as the vast majority of New Zealand GPs, vehemently opposed the bill. The medical community implored for its reconsideration. They petitioned that it was a complicated bill that required medical expertise to understand. Seymour, however, was unfazed as he knew they no longer held sway, as all submissions were now with the Justice Committee. This bill was not as its title described about the end of life implying old age, but about a person's right to have their life exterminated immediately, without counselling, without the presence of physical pain, without the requirement of any appropriate medical or palliative treatment, without any cool-down period whatsoever between the request and the termination procedure, without a witness being present at any stage of the process, 
without being required to inform anyone of their decision, strangely even stipulating that the patient does not need to be asked to reaffirm their decision at the point of administration of the lethal substance. For example, if an 18-year-old girl suffering from what's called terminal anorexia nervosa asked to be put out of her misery, a doctor or nurse would be going against the law to not facilitate her request, even though her condition is one of many that medical experts agree is unable to be accurately determined as terminal. Nobody, not even her parents, would be required to be informed of the procedure until the following day when they'd get a phone call notifying them that there's a body to come and collect. At the time of the referendum, a group called FanoConcern.nz recreated such a scenario to try and raise public awareness. Hello, is this Mrs. Tuhoi? Yes. This is Dr. Smith. In accordance with the End of Life Choice Act 2019, I'm obliged to ring you. Your daughter has been euthanized. You will need to collect the body within a certain time frame. <laughs> You'll need to collect your daughter's body. Both Winston Peters and David Seymour said that this act was safe because it was only for those with a terminal illness. But closer investigation reveals that this act seems to purposefully not define what terminal actually means. The End of Life Choice Act in Oregon uses the same wording and the same definitions. And as a result, now, anyone who would be dead within six months if they stopped taking their medication is eligible to be euthanized. That means someone who would be dead if they didn't take their insulin or their heart medication. And in many places, this definition is now being stretched to cover mental illness as well as physical. As exceedingly permissive as this bill is though, it's still too restrictive for David Seymour's liking. And he's made it clear many times as he does in this interview from December 23rd, 2022, that he will push those boundaries out even further as soon as he gets the opportunity to do so. Um, you know, I, I personally um, regret that end-of-life choice still excludes some people who won't die within six months. Uh, so look, that is, is not really a, a fail uh, this year. It's more unfinished business. Uh, we will expand the end-of-life choice act. Just like our abortion act, New Zealand's end-of-life choice act is more extreme than in other countries, even in liberal Canada. Two witnesses are required when a person signs their request, but here in New Zealand, none are required. Keep in mind also that although you or your loved one may not be able to afford vital life-saving surgery and have to wait months, if not years, on the public waiting list, because of this bill, this end-of-life procedure can be given to anyone aged 18 and up almost immediately and completely free of charge. Now, although the government clearly refused to protect the vulnerable, by denying every SOP requested to amend this bill and make it safer, they didn't fail to protect the medical practitioner in the case of a wrongful euthanasia death. You may or may not be surprised to learn that if a medical practitioner causes wrongful death as a result of the euthanasia process, the Act itself stipulates that the consequence of such action is not to exceed $10,000 or three months imprisonment. Of Okay, we'll leave you there, uh, Philip, uh, uh, Samantha, and we'll go across to TNT Radio News and pick up the news bulletin at 8 o'clock. I'll be back. We'll finish that off after the weather at 8. Uh, let's go over to TNT now, and uh, we'll pick up their latest bulletin. If you miss this show, simply go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The drone attack on a U.S. base by militants backed by Iran, resulting in the deaths of three U.S. soldiers, has heightened concerns about escalating tensions in the Middle East. 
A former CIA director labeled the attack a significant escalation amidst the ongoing crisis, which includes the October 7th terror attack by Hamas on southern Israel and Israel's subsequent military response in Gaza. Experts emphasize the need for U.S. President Joe Biden to carefully consider his response. A balanced retaliation is crucial to satisfy domestic demands for a firm response without triggering a broader regional conflict. Insufficient action might fail to deter Iran's proxies from further aggression, while an overly strong response could deepen the Middle East crisis. Some analysts foresee potential escalation and warn of the region teetering on the brink of a larger war. The situation also presents a strategic dilemma for Biden, as the significant escalation could inadvertently benefit Russian interests, particularly in the context of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Furthermore, a British MP has expressed concerns about the UK's potential involvement, suggesting that Britain's engagement could become necessary due to the escalating tensions. On Sunday, through soup at the glass protecting the Mona Lisa at the Louvre Museum in Paris. The women, who had the words food repost written on their T-shirts, were protesting for a sustainable food system amidst the ongoing demonstrations by French farmers over a variety of grievances, including low wages. A video posted on social media showed the two women passing under a security barrier and getting closer to the painting before hurling soup at the glass protecting Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. While doing so, they shouted slogans advocating for a healthy and sustainable food system. The incident occurred in the midst of the French farmers' protests, which had caused disruptions across the country. The farmers have been demonstrating against government policies that they argue are harming their livelihoods, such as rising fuel taxes and the liberalization of trade agreements. The Louvre Museum confirmed the incident and announced that the painting had not been damaged. A spokesperson for the museum stated that the security measures were in place to prevent any harm to the painting. The climate activist protest did not receive support from all quarters, as some criticized their methods as being too extreme and disrespectful to the iconic painting. Others, however, praised the women's cause and drew attention to the important issues that they were highlighting. Cultural unions are prepared to mount an indefinite siege on Paris starting Monday as part of ongoing protests calling for the government to roll back a range of uncompetitive regulations hurting the livelihoods of the nation's growers and agricultural workers. According to France's two main farming unions, their members are ready to converge on the French capital with their tractors and other farming equipment. All major roads will be blocked for an indefinite period, mimicking a medieval siege without the bloodshed, until their grievances are solved. Australia has paused its funding to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, following allegations of staff involvement in a Hamas-led terrorist attack against Israel on October 7th. This decision aligns with similar actions taken by several countries, including the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Germany, Finland, Japan, and the Netherlands. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong has expressed serious concerns regarding these allegations. The suspension comes after calls for action from opposition figures, such as Foreign Affairs Shadow Minister Simon Birmingham and Shadow Home Affairs Minister James Patterson. Despite halting funding to the UNRWA, Australia continues its humanitarian aid efforts in Gaza, having announced a $21.5 million aid package in January, which includes $6 million for UNRWA. Another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James. 
Thank you, my old mate. It's uh, coming up to five minutes past eight. We'll have a forecast for you in a moment. And we'll finish off that little um, little piece, a clip from Samantha Edwards' Winston Rides Again, where we took David Seymour on the end of life, Bill. We'll talk about that. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. Hmm. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. All right, it's just gone five past eight, and we'll check out that weather and see what's happening there. We'll look at the extremes first of all, and it looks as though Tauranga has overtaken Gisborne there. 20.8 20.8 degrees, almost 21 degrees in Tauranga. Lowest place now is in the South Island, of course. 8.6 in Colverdon. Uh, the windiest place is New Plymouth, actually, next to Mount Egmont there at the airport. 44 kilometres of wind per hour. And uh, the wettest place is Napier Airport with 1.4 millimetres of rain. Temperatures right across the country, apart from Colverdon, uh, are all in the double digits. Even Timaru's 11 at the moment. Stewart Island's on 14. Invercargill, they've got 12 degrees. Uh, Dunedin, quite warm there, 17 degrees. They're level pegging with uh, Chatham Islands at the moment. Queenstown's on 13. France Joseph on the west coast there, 12 degrees. A little further north on the west coast. Uh, we've got Westport, 14 degrees. 15 in Nelson. Blenheim's got 13 degrees. Christchurch is 13 uh, up to the North Island there. And uh, both Masterton and Wellington are on 16 degrees. Uh, Palmerston North, 18 degrees. Um, Egmont, foot of Mount Egmont. Um, New Plymouth, 19 degrees there. Napier's on 17. Taupo and Rotor are both uh, level pegging with 19 degrees. And uh, Taupo, yeah, and yeah, both of them. Uh, Rotorua, uh, 19 degrees, yeah. Gisborne, 20 degrees. Hamilton, 17. Tauranga, that's the one that's the top at the moment, 21 degrees near enough. Auckland, 19, along with Wangaburae, and um, Kaitaia are on to 20 degrees. Now, let's look at the short forecast. In the west from Northland to Tomaranui, or Taramanui, however you want to say it, including Coromandel Peninsula, mainly fine weather today, isolated showers about Coromandel, spreading elsewhere in the afternoon and evening, and then some possible heavy falls as well. For the Bay of Plenty and Taupo, or Tupu, uh, mainly fine weather, however a few afternoon showers about the ranges. Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, periods of rain with heavy falls possible about Wairua District. Uh, that's going to be you know, at first. And then Taranaki to Taihapi, also Wellington and the Wairarapa. Cloudy periods for you today, for us today. Isolated showers for Taihapi and Wairarapa, possibly this evening in Wellington. Might have some there. In the South Island, Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland. Fine weather, evening cloud in Marlborough. Canterbury, Otago and Southland, uh, Fjordland also will include you. You've got some mainly fine weather today. You've got a few showers developing in Southland this morning, spreading further north this afternoon. In Chatham Islands, it's going to be low cloud for you today, I'm afraid. And you've got rain coming, rain coming in the evening. There we are. Uh, we'll be back in a moment with more news and uh, more. We'll follow off with that uh, follow up on the um, Samantha Edwards reports. So you can find them at Counterspin Media if you see the full video. Uh, of um, it's called Winston Rides again. Uh, so we'll get back to that in just a moment with Sam Samantha Edwards. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Okay, so it was, I think it was about two minutes to go on that. It was quite interesting, wasn't it? We'll just recap. And uh, so she's talking about the end of life bill with David Seymour and Winston Peters in the in the. Um, 
the documentary film that she made called Winston Rides Again that came out just before the election. And completely free of charge. Now, although the government clearly refused to protect the vulnerable by denying every SOP requested to amend this bill and make it safer, they didn't fail to protect the medical practitioner in the case of a wrongful euthanasia death. You may or may not be surprised to learn that if a medical practitioner causes wrongful death as a result of the euthanasia process, the Act itself stipulates that the consequence of such action is not to exceed $10,000 or three months imprisonment. Of course, with good legal representation, that could easily be reduced to no more than a slap on the hand. So in other words, a potentially premeditated action causing wrongful death with less consequence than fishing over the quota. Is this not our government explicitly defining a human life to be worth less than $10,000? Doctors are Hippocratic people who hold the preservation of life as paramount. They were already employing compassionate practices. It was already legal for life support to be turned off and already legal for patients to refuse treatment and already legal to administer as much pain relief as needed, even if it does end up hastening the patient's death. But it was the blatantly unsafe clauses in this bill that they objected to such as the fact that it can take as little as four days from when the patient hears that they're terminally ill to when they're euthanized. And understandably, they didn't want to become legally bound lethal agents to anyone who knocked on their door asking for this procedure. They pleaded to have their more than 38,000 submissions to the Justice Select Committee heard and honored. The Care Alliance analyzed virtually all of those submissions and found that over 90% were opposed and not for religious reasons. Many submitters citing a frequent occurrence of patients requesting euthanasia, identifying that part of the reason for their decision was that they didn't want to be a burden to their friends and family any longer. Even though the Health Select Committee had been disenfranchised from having a direct influence on this extreme bill's progress, many in the medical community began to speak up, albeit in a censored voice. They began to inform the public of the alarming international trends where nations had complied with this globalist euthanasia agenda. It was clear that they would still try to exert some influence by making their expert objections known, as well as those of the wider medical community. It was also clear that because such a bill is always permitted to be voted according to an MP's conscience, rather than along party lines, Many MPs may still have chosen to heed those expert medical voices and the bill was still quite likely to be ultimately voted down. Yeah, there we go. Samantha Edwards, you can find her at counterspinmedia.com. Well, that's my lot for the day. It's um, 12 minutes past eight. Uh, coming up to 12 minutes past eight. Thanks very much for joining me. Hope to see myself again. And you too, Digger. Yeah, I'll have to see you again tomorrow as well. Are you got something wrong with your prostate? No. Why? Yeah, out there for a long time. Took a long while. It wasn't a very strong flow either. That's enough of that. We're not having that sort of chat on my radio program. We're all Christians here, except I'm worried about you. I think you've been backsliding. You think so, do you? Well, I've got a few stories to tell. All right, that's enough. Now, we've got Katie Hopkins, and then that's it. And then we're, we're not playing any country music now. I've got Chris over in the UK. He's working on some new, uh, a new station imaging. We're moving away. Thanks to Alina, my lovely little friend Alina. And she is, well, she's not little. She's a grown woman now. But um, I remember her when she was eight years old when I first met her. Um, 
and she has come up with the idea that we need to play more classic hits and more sort of unwinding music instead of that country stuff. Play a little bit of country stuff, she said. She said at dinner last night. But uh, so I came straight back and got onto it. And I've written to Chris, and Chris says, "Leave it to me. I'll get onto it for you right away, and we'll do a complete re rechange." So some of you'll be quite pleased about that that we're, we're ditching the country music. We might have the odd one in there, but it's going to be you know classic hits, you know, sort of seventies, eighties, nineties, and the noughties. <laughs> the best of the seventies, eighties, nineties, and the noughties. Don't be rude. All right, I won't be rude. We'll just, um, we'll just, um, we'll hear from Katie Hopkins, and then that's it for me until tomorrow morning. And then stand by for Steely Dan. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTRadio.live. How many genders are there? Two. And they are? Male, female. But what about someone's right to tell you what their gender is? No problem at all. So it's you, you're going to tell me what your gender is, but in the world is less fucked world, I don't have to believe it. But I'm thrilled for you. You're a lampshade. I'm so happy. Let me put a light bulb up your ass. Brilliant. Don't require me to think what you think. Okay. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Now, 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 here comes another hour of today's best country and more. This is 88.1 FM, The Wireless. Listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, the wireless, the world at five.